Welcome back to Second and Short. It is Friday, February 17th, and we've got a whole lot to talk about this week. we got to get Luke's take on the Super Bowl, of course. We've got some NFL news. We're going to give you our top 10 quarterbacks from the NFL this past season. A little bit of MLB news as uh, pitchers and catchers have reported. A bunch of players showing up to spring training. whole lot's going on. We're going to talk Champions League now that we've got you know a little bit more space to talk about more soccer. We're going to bring into the Champions League. And then we're going to, of course, Premier League weekend preview. And then we'll end it out with Do You Remember and Stake Your Claim. So, Luke... Let's go ahead and get into it. What was your take on the Super Bowl? How did you think you know players did? How'd it go? How'd you like the overall game? I I thought that was one of the greatest football games I've ever watched, Grayson. Um, I I think that at the end of the game, it was b- both teams deserved to win with the way that they played. I would say, um, and you know, it, it really did all come down to that fumble, uh, that fumble six. I think, and that's you know. It's just how good this game was. It, it came down to that one mishap and that one defensive touchdown on the Chiefs, which they really needed, in my opinion. Um, but shout out Jalen Hurts. Um, you know, last time on the podcast, Grayson, we did our top five uh, Super Bowl performances of all time, like single player performances. Jalen Hurts would have made my list if we would have done it afterwards because holy shit, Grayson. Yeah, he had quite the game. And, you know, the key to his success there, not only in the air, he threw over 300 passing yards, but the the QB sneaks and, and everything else, you know, in between, just he looked amazing. But, yeah, it kind of sucks. We talked about it on Wednesday's episode that it, it kind of sucks that the best player in that game also made the most, you know, crucial mistake. Yeah, um... Just on the positive note, though, 304 yards and a touchdown, which was way more than Patrick Mahomes, I might add. 15 carries, 70 yards, and three touchdowns. He had four touchdowns in this Super Bowl. He accounted for um, every score except for one of them, um, the Eagles. And but he was amazing. He would have been the obvious Super Bowl MVP, you know, if the Eagles had won. But Jalen Hurts was. Awesome. The the play to AJ Brown was great. I remember you and I were texting each other during the Super Bowl, kind of giving you know each other back and back to forth, back and forth. Sorry, banter. And uh, yeah, I was completely right. The Chiefs secondary could not keep up with Jalen Hurts, but Patrick Mahomes, man, he's so good. At, he he doesn't have to be flashy like what people think. And going back to a point you made, he can be a system quarterback in the sense where not only do they not really have to have a run game. But he also doesn't have to be slinging it every game. I'm pretty sure he was under um, 200 yards in this Super Bowl, but he had three touchdowns and he was super accurate. Um, also wanted to shout out Pacheco and McKinnon were so entertaining to watch. Pacheco, 15 carries, 76 yards and a touchdown. McKinnon didn't really do so much, but he could have had the touchdown and said he slid on the one-yard line. He had four carries, 34 yards, no touchdowns. Three receptions, 15 yards through the air, also no touchdowns. But the but the running backs on the Chiefs really impressed me. Yeah, Pacheco was extremely good in that game. Uh, he was, like, getting absolutely blown up. But he was gaining yards. And, and, like, like there was, what, like two plays in a row where, like, he just got, like, blown off the ground by the defense. And he just, you know, gets back up, goes out, does it again. Like, 
He looked really good. Uh, it's very promising for the Chiefs to see that they've got a rookie running back who nobody really thought was going to play this year. I, I want to say he was like a round seven pick. And, and you know, with Clyde Edwards-Alaire going out, he kind of took on the backup role. And then he kind of emerged as a little bit better in, in like the pure running game than uh, Jarrett McKinnon. So, you know, we'll see what the future holds for them. Maybe... Maybe they lose one of the three. Maybe they trade one of the three off, but I would like to see Pacheco stay in Kansas City. I would like it too, and I, I think he definitely needs to. they they got to keep that guy around. I also wanted to shout out Juju and Kadarius Tony. We both said in our um, Super Bowl preview that we would like to see, because you and I were under the assumption, Travis Kelsey, he's obviously the best at his position, but we were under the assumption that he was going to get kind of taken out of the game. And he kind of was, I would say. He was still the leading um, uh, He was still the leading receiver on the Chiefs yard-wise, still had a touchdown. He was great in the first quarter, which is where I feel like more than half of those stats came from, was in the first quarter alone on like some of their first drives. But Juju Smith-Schuster... Seven receptions, 53 yards. Um, and Kadarius Tony, not much through the air, but he had that punt return. And you and I both talked about it. You know, Kelsey was going to get shut down. We wanted to see Juju and Kadarius Tony step up. And we also, we didn't even talk about Sky Moore, which I actually heard that that play that he scored off of, they were actually lined up wrong and they still scored. So it was perfect for the Chiefs' offense as they got con- uh, contributions from all over the place. It didn't come down to Mahomes kind of like how it was uh, in the Super Bowl versus the Buccaneers, and their offense just kept rolling. Yeah, it, it was uh, a, a fantastic offensive display by the Chiefs, and you're right. It, it was the guys that maybe we didn't see having the best game or didn't see making a big impact that still ended up doing big things. Like, if you just looked at the offensive stats, you would be like, okay, yeah, Kadarius Tony had, what, like one reception, five yards, and a touchdown, and – his impact was much bigger. That punt return, theoretically, that punt return wins them the game when you look at it, you know, afterwards. And it was just, it was a great run. You know, it wasn't even like, it wasn't even like the blocking was, you know, so good as soon as he caught it. I want to say he had to break like two or three tackles as soon as he, as soon as the ball was in his hands. But after that, you know, the chief special teams, they got blockers in front of him and he was able to get, you know, really close to, um, the end zone there and uh yeah it was just like I said one of the greatest games I've ever seen I I really hate though James Bradbury hold is I I can't understand why people are giving that call so much shit because Bradbury even admitted that he held him and was even I think in the quote he was like oh I I did that kind of hoping that the refs wouldn't see it a penalty is a penalty I get it. It was kind of a soft hold, but also the Chiefs were close anyway, and I kind of hate how people are allowing that to ruin the end of the game. I I think the end of the game, for me, it was still kind of boring, but not because of that call. The Chiefs pretty much just ran out the clock and kicked a field goal, and then Jalen Hurts like underthrew by like 30 yards um, on the Hail Mary uh, for the last play. Didn't even give him a chance, but all in all, fantastic game i enjoyed every bit of it loved the halftime show too it was just perfect night yeah an outstanding super bowl hopefully we'll see these two match up again 
I, I think there's a, a good possibility that that happens uh, throughout the careers of Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, um, and oh my gosh, Grayson, Jalen Hurts, man, the sky is the limit. I mean, he's already played this good in one Super Bowl. He's already got the jitters out, you know. He, he's golden for the rest of his career. Can't wait to watch him play. All right, well, let's go ahead and get into some NFL news. There's plenty to talk about. Uh, we'll start it off. Philadelphia uh, has now lost both of their coordinators. They are the fifth team to lose both of their coordinators to head coaching jobs in the same offseason. It's the fifth team all time to do that. That, that is wild, and, and it's a big hill to climb. When that happens, you know, it kind of throws everything out because a lot of your, like, assistants or quarterbacks coach, offensive line coach, like guys like that are typically guys that end up being brought in by those coordinators that get hired as head coaches. So you end up, you don't just lose your coordinators, you lose your quarterbacks coach, you lose your defensive backs coach. Like, it's a much more than just the coordinators that leave, and it leaves a team in a very bad spot. And look, Philadelphia, they didn't have time to be interviewing candidates for these jobs because they hadn't been taken yet. They didn't know if their offensive or defensive coordinators were going to leave. Super Bowl comes around. And it seems like everybody's getting scooped up already. And now Philadelphia is going to be left with slim pickings. Yeah, that's just kind of, I guess it's just kind of the business, you know, it's unfair. And everybody else was, you know, like you said, their offseason started earlier. They're already kind of making these moves, picking up these guys. And Philly uses both their, uh, both their coordinators. And it just, it sucks for them because I'm sure as a Philly fan, you know, with how well they played and how consistent they were on both sides of the football, they probably wanted to keep that same group around and, you know, they've lost both of them, but they have a great head coach and I'm sure they have, you know, pretty good eyes as far as, you know, who could take over those jobs. And I, I think they'll be okay, but it definitely does put them in a shitty situation. Yeah. And um, let's talk about the Super Bowl winning team. Uh, the Chiefs became the fourth team in NFL history to record over 7,000 total yards in the season, and wow. they are the first of those four teams to win the Super Bowl in that year. Yeah, uh, it, it makes sense. <laughs> that that offense was rolling. And they even kind of – I mean, they lost Tyreek Hill, too, and replaced him with Juju. <laughs> and, you know, their offense just seems even – maybe not as flashy, but it seems even more efficient than it ever has been. So – the sky's the limit for them. For sure. All right, well, let's talk about this just to get it out of the way. Alvin Kamara, back in the news. Him, among four other men, were indicted in a battery case uh, stemming from uh, an, an alleged assault at a Las Vegas nightclub back in February of last year. Uh, I believe it was around the Super Bowl time, maybe, or Pro Bowl? Uh I don't really, I don't really remember. I want to say it was like well into the off season, but I don't know. I, I don't know. It, it was back in February of last year, so uh, I'm not too sure. But, okay. Um, yeah. So it's Alvin Kamara and then Cincinnati Bengals cornerback Chris Lamons, uh, along with two other men, were indicted on these charges. Um, I, it's just we could we come on here every week, and it seems like somebody else is getting in trouble. And it's yeah. it seems to be like stars. We talked about it with Joe Mixon uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and those chart that that story's weird. Uh, we don't really know what's coming out of it. I, I doubt anything will from the way it looks. But with this one, you know, it, it's gone 
very far now, and it's to the point where Kamara could be facing actual charges. So it just brings us again. It's like, okay, you know who you are. You're Alvin Kamara. You're the starting running back for the New Orleans Saints. You have a huge contract. You are a multi-time pro bowler. What the fuck were you thinking? Yeah. Um, the, I remember the rumor that I heard whenever that first happened was that they were getting they were getting heckled by some someone a little bit too much. And I, I want to say this is all legend by the, by the way, but I wanted to say that they, someone was just messing with their entourage like a little bit too much. And he got the shit beat out of them. Uh, it's still stupid. I mean, you can't like for a star, like Grayson just said, you have to, you're obviously going to be a target to people that aren't, you know, a fan of your team. Cause you're the star. They're going to want to poke fun at you no matter how good you are. And no matter how much, you know, they're just spewing just shit that doesn't even, you know, make sense or matter. But you have to keep your cool because at the end of the day, it's all about your job. It's about your future. It's about your team. It's about your money. You can't fuck up and, you know, face criminal charges. So, yeah, it's just a bummer. Yeah, and it doesn't help that Alvin Kamara had one of his worst seasons of his career this year. Yeah, exactly. And it's just – it's not really been a good good past couple months for AK. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens. But in the meantime – a guy that got in trouble last year just applied for reinstatement on Tuesday. Uh, Jaguars wide receiver Calvin Ridley uh, applied for his reinstatement following his year or uh, season-long uh, suspension due to gambling. Uh, it's the first day. Uh, Tuesday was the first day he was able to appeal, and he immediately uh, applied for that reinstatement. I-, I got a feeling he'll be fine. He'll get it. But, you know, this does change the Jaguars' offense next season with Calvin Ridley. You've already got Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, uh, Marvin Jones Jr. Now you're adding Calvin Ridley. It makes me think that most likely, the guy who's most likely to walk would probably be Marvin Jones Jr. He was probably the least productive of the three. But if you do keep all four, then you're in a interesting position where, you know, like, not all four of them can be on the field at the same time. And guys start having to share targets, and it causes turmoil. So we'll have to see what happens in that wide receiver room because having four guys that are all capable of being, you know, uh, uh, at least a, a solid, if not great, wide receiver are all in the same spot. Yeah, uh, I think kind of basing off of what we last saw from Calvin Ridley – I think he's definitely the most talented. He's got the most um he he's got the most talent out of that group you just mentioned. I don't see Marvin Jones Jr. walking only because I would like to think that the Jaguars would want to keep him around. He's a veteran. He's been around for a long time. I'm sure he has an awesome effect on the locker room, especially the young wide receivers that they've just brought in. Like you said, they have a growing Trevor Lawrence. He's only getting better. They have Etienne and a pretty decent run game once it's, you know, going. That's a pretty scary offense. Yeah. With Calvin Ridley. Yeah, I think that he'll be a fantastic addition. I wish we still had him in Atlanta, but that's neither here nor there. We're moving on. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Another piece of news. According to a league or league sources familiar with the Texans interview process, the front office in Houston told coaching candidates it's planning to use the number two overall pick on a quarterback. Wow. 
What a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> is this even news, you might ask? <laughs> uh, no, it's I don't know. Not. It's, <laughs> it's kind of interesting, though, because depending on what um, Chicago has the first pick, correct, Grayson? Yes. They're I most like likely depending, to trade it. Yeah. Depending on what they do, depending on who wants to, you know, take that trade, I, I think the Texans have an interesting pick here because if the first pick doesn't go to a quarterback, they have a plethora of options in the draft. And a, I, I don't know. Who do you take? Who do you take if number one doesn't take a, a quarterback, Grayson? Oof. This is the question. And yeah. I, I need to see pro days and combines to, like, truly give my answer. But right now, as somebody who just watches a lot of college football and, you know, sees how guys have transitioned in the past to the NFL, I think C.J. Stroud is my favorite pick for them. I just yeah. – uh, people are enamored by Bryce Young. I'm I'm so glad you said that because I'm literally in the same boat. But regardless, whoever it goes to, um, I, personally, like I just said, I think it should be C.J. Stroud. Um, but whoever they pick, you know, they get to work with Brandon Cooks. And I, that may not be like a, a duo that people are excited for, but whoever the Texans draft, I am really excited to see how they look with Brandon Cooks because they're not going into a team that's completely bad. You also got um, – oh, my gosh, his name is slipping slipping me. Is it Damon Pierce? Was that yeah, the running Damian back? Yeah, Damon Pierce. Uh, Damian Pierce, uh, so you're you're not completely screwed there offensively, especially if the rookie quarterback is even like slightly serviceable. You got decent receivers. You got Damian Pierce. I'd be kind of curious to see how they'll play Week One, depending on you know what quarterback they pick. Yeah, and and I don't think we can expect you know fantastic results out of Week One from a rookie quarterback. But what we can expect is uh, a guy who is uber talented. No matter who they pick there at the number one or at the number two overall pick at quarterback, it's a guy that's talented, a guy that deserves to be there. And it's about having a coaching staff that's ready to do that. Uh, you have D'Amico Ryans as your head coach now, a defensive minded head coach, but he's bringing in great candidates or great people for these positions. So I'd like to see, you know, how the offense looks in the preseason and just, you know, throughout their practices. But, you know, whoever they go with, I think it'll work out pretty well. I just think that CJ is the better pick. Do you think Davis Mills should be week one starter, no matter what happens in the offseason, preseason, anything? No. Interesting. I think that if, if whoever it is looks extremely good in the preseason, I'd just give him the shot. You're – you're using a top two pick on a quarterback. He deserves to start week one. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think Davis Mills, I think he, he gets a little bit more of a bad rap than he deserves. I think he is still pretty bad. But yeah. I don't know. Week week one and maybe even week two, I think you I think you start Davis Mills. Because the other side of that, yeah, you're using the number two pick and it's a high investment. They should already be kind of you know, serviceable at the NFL level. But look, we've seen it so many times. And the last thing the Texans want to do is fall into a trap like the Cleveland Browns did. I think you got to be really careful with whoever you pick uh, with the number two pick. I think maybe give them some time to adjust. Yeah, I, I get it. And 
I, I think the problem I see here is like Davis Mills is not a horrible quarterback. So what happens if all of the sudden Davis Mills decides to play really well? Because he plays these two games, and now it's like, oh, we just started this guy over somebody we just spent you know, a second overall pick on, and he's playing really well. If we bench him, we're going to look like idiots if it doesn't work out. It's true. But if it doesn't work out and it works out with Davis Mills, then if, if he never sees the field, whoever they pick at number two, you don't really lose any, uh, any trade value there. So – knows how that could develop it it'll be pretty interesting yeah we'll we'll have to see with that one that one is a, a long-term look ahead with the texans yes. I, I don't see immediate success coming to them but you know i, I didn't see that coming with the jags in in the second season they won their division so and, and won a playoff game so there's no telling exactly um, i think with the texans it's safe to say that you know the blueprint is there you have an awesome veteran wide receiver you have a running back who even as a rookie already proved that he can be one of the best in the league and then you know whoever they pick at quarterback so it'll be interesting all right and then we got another thing that kind of comes off the back of a lot of people talking highly of this guy is that more than one nfl gm came away from the senior bowl fairly convinced that justin fields will be traded um, Interesting. I, we talked about it just a couple of weeks ago. Mike Vick was talking extremely glowingly of um, Justin Fields and the fact that he should stay in Chicago. Justin Fields just like appeared on uh, Pardon My Take and was talking about how much he loves Chicago and how much he loves that team. And now all of a sudden it looks like he's going to get traded. I think that's a horrible move by the Bears. I, I completely agree with you. Look, he was – I mean – I, I can't remember exactly what weeks it was, but Grayson, damn near every week, he was he had a rushing play that was like all that I would see in my feed week after week. And it was like for four weeks he was doing it. it as soon as he gets that throwing game just a little bit better, it, I mean, the sky's the limit for this kid. Chicago do not need to trade this guy. Like, please don't trade Justin Fields. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a mistake. Look, you've got – the number one pick right now, you can trade down. That, that's totally fine. And keep your quarterback. Yeah. He's only gotten better. It's not like drafted him and he's just kind of like, you know, hit this cap kind of like Dak Prescott has. And, you know, we've talked about that in a recent podcast. But like I just said, he's only gotten better. And in my opinion, uh, Cole Commit. Is his only target. Darnell Mooney gets all this attention. Not really too sure why. He's not all that great in my opinion. He's a good wide receiver too. They talk like he's a wide receiver one. He needs build around Justin Fields and see what can happen. I promise you. I, I can see many playoffs in the future if that happens. But, yeah, they, they need more targets for him. Yeah. It, it's There's a lot of things that need to happen in Chicago, but – one of them is Justin Fields needs to stay. Let him develop. Exactly. All right. So this is an interesting thing because it's something that I kind of assume the opposite of. But uh, offensive coordinator candidates who interviewed with the Ravens were not given full assurance that Lamar Jackson will be the quarterback next season. So um, now the offensive coordinator that is there, Todd Munkin, who knows if he's going to have Lamar. Um it's interesting because 
we kind of talked about how we assumed that Lamar would was kind of the focus of finding a new offensive coordinator. It was like finding a, a new style or just, you know, a change of scenery for Lamar to give him, you know, a, just another reason to stay. And now the guys they've interviewed aren't even sure that Lamar's going to be there. Yeah, really interesting situation. But Todd Munkin, awesome pickup for Baltimore, of course, a little bit biased opinion coming from a Georgia fan. But Todd Munkin is the type of offensive coordinator that I think if Lamar stays with Baltimore, not only are you looking at a playoff team, especially if Lamar's healthy, but I think you will see drastic improvements in Lamar's passing game. People will probably stop talking about him as a running back. I, I think Todd Munkin can really help out the arm of Lamar Jackson. Yep, I agree. And another interesting coaching thing, Rex Ryan has emerged as a top candidate for the Broncos defensive coordinator job uh, per Ian Rappaport and Mike Garofalo. Rex Ryan, who's obviously been at ESPN uh, after being fired by the Bills in 2016, and I don't know how I feel about this. Uh, the guy's been out of the league since 2016. That's seven years now. Do you yeah. really want to bring him back as a defensive coordinator? I know Sean Payton, you know, he's a, a little bit of a, a old school guy now at this point. Yeah, I get, you know, bring in some guys that coached in the same time as you, but I, I feel like you need fresh faces. Hey. I agree with that take, but I, I don't know. I, I love um, Rex Ryan a lot. He's an awesome personality. And let's not forget Jets team. You know, everybody likes to meme Mark Sanchez, but Mark Sanchez played in the AFC championship game, of course, lost to the Steelers. We've talked about that in our um, champion favorite championship games, but Rex Ryan was the head coach of that head coach of that Jets team that almost made it to the Super Bowl. And I will add that in the AFC Championship game, they were looking like they were going to make a comeback in, against the Steelers in Pittsburgh. Rex Ryan is a tough head coach. He's defensive-minded. I think these Broncos players would really flourish under Rex Ryan as their defensive coordinator. But to your point, that AFC Championship game was over 13 years ago. So who knows how it would play out, but I personally like it. I, I love Rex Ryan. Yeah, I don't think it would be a bad move. I just think that when you bring in a bit of an older, more experienced head coach, I think it's a good idea to go young on your coordinators. Um, allow those coordinators to learn something from the head coach, and they're a little bit more impressionable so that you know when Sean Payton takes this leadership role, these guys kind of follow suit and are – fully influenced by their head coach. Look, Rex Ryan, he's been a head coach for many years and he's been a defensive coordinator. So, you know, why would he, he has nothing to learn from Sean Payton. It'd just be like, he's running the defense and Sean Payton's running the team. Yeah, that's a fair point. All right, well, new Dolphins defensive coordinator Vic Fangio has officially signed his contract and the organization uh, announced that he is on board. Uh, I think that the Vic Fangio move is a solid pickup. Uh, I know I just talked about how picking up guys that have already worked for a while and had head coaching jobs isn't the best, but for a Dolphins team whose defense is just really, was really the bad spot for them last season, Picking up a guy with experience does make sense. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, you don't really want a young guy to kind of like take over and build with the defense. I think if, if you have a struggling defense, what you need to bring in is you need to bring in defensive players who have been around for a while, but also a defensive coordinator who's been around for a while. And I think it's a great pickup for Miami as well. All right, we got a fun one here. So Melvin Gordon uh, was talking about winning his ring with the Chiefs, uh, and he was quoted as saying, I didn't do shit. I got carried, baby. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. It, it's a fun quote, but ever since he held out with, uh, with the Chargers, he has just never been the same player, and it's just kind of like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why he's happy about that. I mean, he's a Super Bowl champion, but he – what he used to be to what he is now i mean it's we're miles away from from prime melvin gordon it just kind of sucks it does suck but at the same time like he he's a super bowl champion not there's not very many people that can say that and and now he's won and it it doesn't matter at this point i think melvin gordon understands like hey i'm not the best running back out there um, I'm not even a, a top 30 and, or top 60 really. Um, and he's just going to, you know, take his victories when he can. And a Super Bowl ring is a Super Bowl ring, something that he will remember for the rest of his life and will have for the rest of his life. Um, you know, you, you take your awards and your statistics to the grave. It's true. Um, but I, I don't know, kind of thinking about it now, though, I, I think going into next season, I would like to see Melvin Gordon and and kind of like join like a trio um, with uh, Pacheco and McKinnon. Melvin Gordon is a little bit more experienced. I think he's a little bit different than Pacheco and um, McKinnon. I think those are more kind of elusive guys. Melvin Gordon's kind of more of your power back guy. I, I really I think he could contribute in an offense in a Chiefs offense next season. But who knows? He's I guess he's final getting carried. So. Hey, man, whatever floats your boat. Now, the Chicago Bears uh, purchased 326-acre land Arlington Park, and it is now official that uh, that, uh, transaction is over. So now the Bears are just one step closer to moving out of downtown Chicago. And this move has absolutely divided Chicago Bears fans. Uh, all the people that live near downtown or in downtown absolutely hate this because they don't want to have to go, you know, into the suburbs to go to the games because of the convenience. But on the other hand, Chicago's population is heavily like rooted in the suburbs. And I think that, you know, I'm a fan of taking your stadiums out of the sub- or out of the downtown area. It, it makes things so much easier. What a Braves like, thing yes, to say, Grayson. <laughs> I get it. I, I know. The, the Braves did it. But think about the convenience. Like, I, I know, like, yeah, we live on the north side of Atlanta, but, and that's where the Braves moved to. But, like, regardless, would it not be easier to go to, you know, Mercedes-Benz Stadium if it was outside of downtown? That's an amazing point, but I don't know. I, I kind of like the stadiums downtown. I think it offers like a little bit – it offers like a unique piece to the city. But I can totally understand why uh, Chicago fans are, you know, divided about this because this stadium was opened October 9th, 1924. And it was only renovated in uh, 2002, and that took till 2003. 
uh, it's been around for a long time. And I, I think, you know, for a lot of the classic Cubs fans, which, you know, the Bears and, you know, they're out there, Grayson, and it's it sucks for them. But as, you know, people who live in North Atlanta, we can contribute to the fact that, you know, when stadiums are not downtown, it kind of it, it's a little bit cooler. You know, you can kind of build a city around it, like the Battery with uh, Truist Park. Um, so it just it offers something a little bit more cooler, I think. Yeah, and I think the biggest benefit here is that the team said that this development in Arlington Heights could create more than 48,000 jobs and generate $9.4 billion in economic impact for the Chicago area. And the city of Chicago tries and have tried multiple times uh, to keep the Bears at Soldier Field. But I just think that at this point, if you're playing in the North, you probably need a dome. (laughs) You think so? Yeah. Uh, Even Justin Fields said it himself. He said that he he wants Chicago to play in a dome. Well, he did grow up in Kennesaw, Georgia. That's fair. I don't know the the snow games, man. You you think you think the Packers football in December would be the same without? Um, oh my God, I'm blanking. Or what is their Lambo? Fuck, I couldn't think of their name. <laughs> you think snow games uh, at home for Packers fans like they gotta love that shit. I'm sure I think it's don't. great, but you also run into a situation like the Bills did, where it snowed so much that they had to play in Detroit. Yeah, and. To, your, to another point, though, I don't know if you remember. This is a long time ago. Do you remember the um, in the Viking Stadium? This was before U.S. Bank Stadium. Um, it was a dome, and it actually collapsed with how much snow they got. Like the whole roof just fell in. Yeah, I think that's just poor construction. It, it, like the way that that one was set up was horrible, and yeah. it made a lot of sense why it collapsed. It probably needed to honestly (laughs) but you know with what stadiums look like now you could do a a mercedes-benz type retractable roof you know multiple other stadiums have it and it would most definitely work like if you want you want to open up the roof you can if you don't you don't like it, it doesn't matter but look i I don't care for snow games. Really? Yeah. Like, yeah, they're exciting to watch. Kind of. If, if you like to watch a team run the ball a lot and <laughs> slide a lot. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think it's good that Chicago, it, it sucks that Soldier Field won't be, you know, their home anymore because it's, you know, old. It's got a lot of history. It's got Super Bowls that have been, you know, not one there, but one, you know, as the team has played there. But I, I think it'll it'll overall be a pretty good move for Chicago. Yeah. All right. Well, I got a fun fact here. Since 2010, only one coach under 50 years old has won a Super Bowl, and that being Sean McVay at the age of 36. So, Luke, I pose this question to you. Do you think that this is – just a little bit of proof that maybe hiring young head coaches isn't your best option at all times. Well, 
you're asking – I think you're asking the wrong guy because uh, Mike Tomlin was not old when the Steelers hired him. And obviously this status since 2010, but I want to say that Mike Tomlin was also super young whenever he won against the Cardinals in uh, Super Bowl 43. I don't know because, like, if you get the rare case like Mike Tomlin, who they can stay with the team forever and, you know, kind of I would say get better as far as, like, their play calling, you know, their football mind is being built over those years with the same team. I like hiring young head coaches, but at the same time, to your point, you know, the stat is the stat. So I don't know, kind of torn about this one. Yeah. Like, you know, among those coaches that have won Super Bowls recently, being Andy Reid, you know, Belichick, uh, Doug Peterson, uh, amongst others, it, it kind of does make me think that, you know, the experience you get from head coaching for a long time is, you know, it's priceless. And those three guys I just named are all fantastic head coaches. Of course, they've won Super Bowls. You have to be a pretty solid head coach to do that. But it's also guys that spent a lot of time working up to that position. Not all of them started as head coaches like super young and just have been head coaches this whole time. Andy Reid, you know, he was a coordinator for a very long time. Uh, the same with Belichick. He, you know, didn't become the head coach of the Patriots until, what, the, like, late, was it late 90s or early 2000s? I want to say it was early 2000s. Yeah, so I just think that it, it takes experience to be a, a, a top-tier head coach because we see, you know, Zachary Taylor – um, obviously Nick Sirianni this year, like guys like that. Yeah, they have fantastic teams, but coaching is what separates, you know, the winners from the losers. Yeah. Um, I, I really don't have much to add to that. It's just, uh, I don't know. I kind of like the idea of striking gold with a young guy and, and letting him be your head coach for as, as long as he can be honestly, and keeping him around for a long time. I, I like the, kind of like um tradition and stability route but at the same time it's pretty rare for those young head coaches to find success right off the bat so i don't know like like i said earlier i'm pretty torn about this one i I really i don't know how to feel about it all right well let's move on to this one this one's a a bit interesting so uh this came uh chad henny went on the adam schefter podcast obviously hosted by adam schefter himself and uh, they were talking about, you know, what has Chad Henney, you know, seen in his years as a backup quarterback for so long? Um, and Adam Scheffner mentioned superstitions. And Chad Henney said that Patrick Mahomes is so superstitious that he has worn the same pair of red underwear for every NFL game he has played. Interesting. Were, were you like that when you when you were playing baseball? Uh, not to that point. Um, I I never I don't changed think I my sunflower seed flavor if we were winning. Okay, yeah. So I mean that's something, but every NFL game. So what? He's been in the league since well every NFL game that he's played. So when did he uh, start? Was games. it 2018? He's played 80 games. When was he drafted? 2016, maybe. Okay, so his first season would have been 2017. That's a lot of games with the same underwear. Yeah, it sure is. And 
you know, this one actually, uh, I know of players that do something similar. Freddie Freeman has uh, an undershirt that he wears. So he wears these this, like long sleeve shirt typically under his jersey. And then over that long sleeve shirt, he has this absolutely ripped up, trashed, like dry fit shirt. And then he has his jersey on. Funny. I, I, I can he say he has worn it for every single MLB game he's played. It's insane. Whenever I played soccer, I don't think there was anything I did the same. I really don't <laughs> think. I, I don't think I did anything the same. I just played. <laughs> All right. Well, I thought, yeah, I just thought that's so weird. The underwear one, at least. Because, like, a lot of guys, you know, they wear, like, a wristband or, you know, something like that. Underwear is interesting because... Yeah, maybe he's only wearing them once a week for, you know, a couple months span, but it's it's still kind of weird. I, I wonder what those under I wonder what that underwear looks like now. There's <laughs> no way. There's no way that he's kept it pristine. I mean, he's a he's a fucking football player. <laughs> yeah, the, they've got to be getting beat up. Damn. All right, well, let's talk about an interesting thing that happened. I had no idea about this until I saw it. Uh, show up on my feed. Former Eagles safety Chris Moragos won a $43.5 million verdict on Monday due to the manner in which his 2017 knee injury was treated. Uh, a couple players were witnesses at the trial. So uh, this is via CBS Philadelphia. A local jury entered the verdict uh, against Dr. James Bradley in Rothman Orthopedics. The case arose from the treatment of the knee injury in October of 2017. Um, Moragos alleged the doctors failed to properly treat a meniscus tear in his knee. Uh, the injury had been diagnosed and treated as a torn PCL. Uh, Bra- er, Bradley is the Steelers team surgeon. Uh, Rothman Orthopedics provides medical services to Eagles players. And uh, the witnesses in the trial included former Eagles quarterback Nick Foles, uh, former tight end Trey Burton, and former Eagles linebacker Jordan Hicks. Uh, they were quoted... Uh, Moragos was quoted as saying, on Sunday, my team played in the Super Bowl, and I could only watch and wonder whether I could have been out there with them had I received the proper medical care. Uh, While I live in constant pain and will never get back on the field, I hope this decision sends a message to teams, medical staffs, that players are people, not just contracts. Interesting. This is a, a, a tough one to see because we talk very often about the, you know, miracles that, um, you know, NFL uh, medical personnel, you know, do. We talked about it with the DeMar Hamlin situation a ton where, you know, if it weren't for the people on the field responding so quickly, you know, who knows what could have happened. And, um, you know, we see it with a ton of guys, but it's something that, you don't see as much in professional sports, uh, the mistreatment of injuries. And it, it is horrible because, yeah, like like Moragos was said, he could have been playing in this Super Bowl if it weren't for how, you know, things went back in 2017. Yeah, um, even to kind of add to that, the other side of it is you have cases like Moragos and cases like Tua. Know, where you know he was kind of questionably cleared to play again and ended up having like a similar you know head hit the ground and you know everybody was freaked out again. I don't know. I, I 
it's they're definitely under more of a microscope now. Um, and I'm talking about the medical personnel than they ever have been. And I don't know, it's just kind of it's interesting how the NFL has changed uh, as far as like injuries go. And as far as like how we either praise or scrutinize medical personnel. Um, but a very unfortunate situation for Moragos though. Yeah. And there, there's some interesting details to go along with this. If, and, and there's you know plenty of stuff that you guys can read up on to figure out what's going on. Uh, but if we do hear anything about it, um, we will definitely update you. Let's get into this. So Brian Johnson, uh, the Eagles offensive coordinator is, um, uh, Oh, sorry. Brian Johnson is going to be the Eagles offensive coordinator. Uh, and then he, um, that was confirmed by Adam Scheffner. Uh, he mentioned that Vance Joseph is a defensive coordinator candidate. And, um, I think he would be a great pickup for the Eagles. So Brian Johnson, uh, I totally forgot to put in his background on here, but I'm going to look it up right now. He was with, oh, he was their quarterbacks coach. I, I knew that. I'd seen that he was linked to uh, a couple of jobs in college football. Uh, yeah, so uh, a straight promotion, uh, inside promotion for Brian Johnson. It's a great move. Quarterbacks coach going into offensive coordinator spot, a, a very normal path. Uh, Vance Joseph would be a fantastic pickup. He's got a, a decent amount of experience in the NFL and a, a pretty successful guy uh, when it just comes to operating a, a pretty solid defense in his years as a coach. Yeah, I kind of – I'm just looking at Brian Johnson's uh, wiki right now. Um, he's 36 years old, which is pretty interesting. Um, he, he went to Utah, and I think he was – I don't know what position he played, but he was the 2009 Sugar Bowl um, MVP. Uh, Utah killed Alabama 31-17. to That's very interesting. I believe he was a quarterback for as much as sure. he spent time as a quarterback's coach. I'd assume he was. Yeah, no, he was. He was a former quarterback. So another young guy joining their um, joining their head coaching uh, trio that are not head coaching, but you know their coordinator head coach trio there. That's interesting. Yeah, I think it's a solid pickup, and we'll have to see. You know who they officially hired DC. Uh, Vance Joseph would be a great option, but let's talk commanders. Uh, they're going to interview Eric B uh, Wednesday for their vacant offensive coordinator job. He is the top candidate. Uh, they also spoke with Greg Roman yesterday, uh, obviously former Ravens, uh, offensive coordinator, which went well and, uh, supposedly no other interviews have been scheduled. So I don't like this move for Eric B I know that people are saying that the reason Eric Bieniemy's not getting head coaching jobs is because, you know, he hasn't proven himself without Patrick Mahomes. But at the same time, you could also be like, well, maybe Patrick Mahomes is has been so good as a result of Eric Bieniemy. Like, there's no telling. You know, you can go either way. I just don't see this. Like, this is seems like a step back for Eric Bieniemy to join the Commanders. Yeah, but, you know, think of the reward. I think the Commanders, you know, they have they have a lot of talent on their offense. I think they're just missing a quarterback. You got Scary Terry. You got pretty pretty decent running back core, too. I don't know. I, I think uh, I think it would say a lot for Biennemi to kind of be the one that connects it all together. But who knows? Yeah, I, I think that Eric Biennemi's kind of gotten screwed over from 
the Chiefs' deep runs into the playoffs, just like we talked about how, you know, the Eagles aren't going to have their pick or, you know, the first picks at coordinators, he's not really getting the attention he should for head coaching jobs because they're all getting filled so quickly. And, like, like by by the time we recorded on Tuesday uh, for Wednesday's episode, me and Brock, every single head coaching job that was open had been taken. So that gave Eric Bieniemy two days to get a head coaching job. That's not a long time there because you got to interview, you got to travel. And yeah, two days is just not enough. All right, let's talk about something funny. We talked about his tweets last week, Jim Irsay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he tweeted an interesting one the other day. <laughs> it's uh, a childhood picture, black and white. <laughs> Super old. And the caption is, my relationship with the Chicago Bears goes back more than 60 years. Obviously, um, he is just putting it out there. He wants the Chicago Bears to trade him to the number one overall pick. But the <laughs> it's just ridiculous. It, it's an old picture of a young, a very young Jim Ursay on the back of a bear. I'm assuming it's not a live bear. But uh, it's at the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. What is wrong with Jim Irsay? Why is he so weird? Jason, I'm going to go ahead. You know, th- this is my hot take for the episode. That bear is real. <laughs> it's just that Jim Irsay is such a fucking weirdo. He probably can talk to bears. Oh, that's why he's on the bear riding it, I think. Yeah, maybe he does. Maybe, uh, oh, maybe it's like, uh, what's that What's that old Disney movie, uh, Brother Bear? Mm. Maybe they're yeah. friends. Yeah. Or he's, you know, like a Russian background. I've heard that they, they like to, you know, ride the bears over there. That's true. Maybe conspiracy theory time. Jim Ursay is colluding with Vladimir Putin. <laughs> and Vladimir Putin taught him how to talk to bears. <laughs> yeah. Vladimir Putin rigged the Colts trading the for the Chicago Bears first overall pick. All right. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm not getting into that conversation. All right. <laughs> Carolina and Indianapolis discussed prominent offensive coaching roles with ESPN's Dan Orlovsky, but he opted to remain at ESPN. What do you think about this? Because I, I've i grown to like Dan Orlovsky uh, with his work at ESPN. Yeah, he's, um, he's an awesome uh, personality on the network. I love listening to him. It's always fun to watch him go back and forth with uh, Stephen A. Smith. And it's just, it's fun to watch him talk and, you know, give sports breakdowns and other shit like that. But I don't know. He doesn't have the best record as far as like playing, you know, the actual game of football goes. So maybe, maybe it's a good idea that he was, you know, remaining to stay at the network. I'm not really trying to doubt his football mind. He just doesn't have, like I, when I think of Dan Orlovsky as a player, I think of kind of a meme. So yeah, maybe when it's a I good think idea of him, decided. all I can think of is him stepping out the back of the end. Yes, yes. <laughs> that is Dan Orlovsky's career in a nutshell. Yeah, one all play. Right. We're going to round out this NFL news with something a little bit fun. It's not really news whatsoever. Uh, a Redditor posted this. Um, it is an offense and defense of two rosters, one being the NFL's worst of the worst, one being the best of the best. It is criminals of the NFL versus Walter Payton, man of the year winners and finalists. 
We'll just talk about the important matchups here. So Deshaun Watson and John Elway at quarterback. So John Elway, of course, a Walter Payton Man of the Year winner in 1992. And Deshaun Watson, of course, um, uh, a criminal. He loves massages. Sure does. And then (laughs) the the running back one, solid. (coughs) The running back for the Walter Payton Man of the Years, of course, Walter Payton. Um, And then... The running back for the criminals, the juice, O.J. Simpson, double murderer right there. Yeah, glove didn't fit. Actually, I have a question for you, Grayson, because I don't know the answer. Why Why did they name the award after Walter Payton? Uh, he did a ton of charitable things uh, throughout his career and um, afterwards, so they gave it uh, that name. Oh, cool. Literally never knew that. No worries. All right, and the running back twos. Great matchup right here. Walter Payton, man of the year team, running back to LaDainian Tomlinson, one of the best of all time, versus another one of the best of all time, kind of the the first amazing running back of all time, Jim Brown. Uh, Domestic violence uh, is his crime. This is a solid matchup. I think I'm taking Jim Brown on that one. Really? I'm going LT. Dude, I love that old style, like, because, like, they didn't even throw the ball back then. No. They did not. All right. We'll talk wide receiver ones here, too. Walter Payton, man of the year team. They got Chris Carter. He won it in 1999. Wide receiver one for the criminals, Michael <laughs> Irvin. Cocaine possession? I've you got to take Michael. Listen, every time Michael Irwin, uh, Irwin talks, I think – or Irvin, sorry. I think it's hilarious because, like, the only thing that I can think of, Grayson, is I would just love to hear him read a page of Harry Potter. I don't think he could do it. <laughs> Well, look, I don't love the way that he talks to women in hotel lobbies, so we're going to move on. (laughs) All right, tight end. It had to be done. All right, Walter Payton, Man of the Year finalist, Greg Olson versus um, Aaron Hernandez. That one kind of explains itself. Yeah. (laughs) It's got to be Aaron Hernandez. (laughs) (laughs) You think so? No. (laughs) (laughs) All right, this one is an interesting one. So offensive tackle, you've got Andrew Whitworth, won it in 2021, and Jason Peters, but his charges, resisting arrest and drag racing. Okay, that's just cool. That's not a crime. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I thought the same thing. And then you've also got the punter matchup of A.J. Cole, a finalist for the Walter Payton Man of the Year, and Pat McAfee for public intoxication. Didn't fucking Pat McAfee, like, swim in a river or something? Like, when, yeah. in, in this public intoxication? What a legend. <laughs> I believe so. That one's interesting. All right, let's talk linebackers. Mike Singletary for the Walter Payton Man of the Year, and who who else but Ray Lewis? This one's an alleged one. He has he did not get convicted of this, but murder. It's highly believed that either he did it or one of his friends did it. Yeah, Atlanta too, right? I believe so. Yeah, interesting. And then uh, oh, let's talk defensive end as well. J.J. Watt, twenty seventeen Walter Payton Man of the Year winner, and Frank Clark for felony gun possession. <laughs> you got to take J.J. Watt. The guy's a Hall of Famer, but. Pretty cool. <laughs> what, felony gun possession? 
Oh man, my favorite. Is- <laughs> you gotta read Pac-Man Jones. I did, and I was about to get to that one. So at corner, you got Charles Tillman won it in 2013, and Pac-Man Jones's crime is just yes, he did all of them. <laughs> I think, um, I think his most recent one before he started uh, podcasting was uh, I think he spit on a cop during an arrest. So it's not surprising. Yeah, he's a he's a demon. <laughs> Oh, I didn't even see this one. A defensive tackle, you've got Joe Green, as in mean Joe Green, uh, winner of the Walter Payton Man of the Year in 1979 against Ed Oliver for a DUI. Wow. It's a solid matchup. That is. I'm taking mean Joe Green, though. Me too, obviously. <laughs> Easy. All right. Any any others you see on there that are fun? Um. Michael Kendricks versus Junior Seau. Uh, Junior Seau, Walter Payton Man of the Year Award in 94. Michael Kendricks, insider trading. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. <laughs> that one's like the uh, – I'd say that Pat McAfee probably is the lightest of the group with public intoxication. But insider trading is probably second. Everything else is yeah. pretty bad. I don't know. Drag racing oh, drag yeah, racing that, that doesn't But the uh, resisting arrest is kind of a problem. Yeah, that is true. Insider trading doesn't hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. All right. We're done. <laughs> we're done with that. <laughs> All right. Let's talk our top 10 NFL quarterbacks from this season. Obviously going 10 to 1. Dude, the bottom the bottom half of this list in general was so hard to pick. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> there was some fantastic quarterback play throughout the league this year. A lot of surprise guys as well. Yep. Let's go ahead and just get it started. Number 10, who you got there, Luke? I went with Trevor Lawrence. I like that. I like that. Go ahead and, and give him the, the reason it wasn't – okay, so there were two guys that I think could have taken this top 10 spot, and I guess I'm kind of go ahead and giving it away, or at least a little bit. Justin Herbert didn't make my list, and Brock Purdy didn't make my list. They both were up for grabs with the 10 spot. With Brock Purdy, I just don't think he played enough. He was awesome, but didn't log enough games for me. Justin Herbert, he was uh, second in yard, in passing yards on the season, but he had the same amount of touchdowns as Trevor Lawrence and two more picks than Trevor Lawrence had. Trevor Lawrence had eight, Justin Herbert had 10. And for this one, you know, I thought about it for a long time. It wasn't an easy decision to put Trevor, you know, at 10, but I just felt like watching Trevor play – I think he gave his team a better chance to win than Justin Herbert did, especially in the second half of the season. I, I like that take. I, I can agree with that. You get. All right, number 10, I got Gino. This was a tough Ooh. one because, like, he didn't have a fantastic year, but almost a 70 completion percentage, 4,200 yards, 30 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. That is a fantastic year. Uh, he was one of few quarterbacks with an over 100 passer rating this season. He deserves to be in the top 10. He was fantastic on a team that was not supposed to do good at all. And Grayson, Geno's actually my number nine. The reasons you just said, look, he had a decent amount of passing yards. He had 30 touchdowns, 11 picks, like you just said. Gino was awesome. He wasn't supposed to be this good, but he played this good. I love my Gino pick at number nine. And I think I'm glad that he made your list too. He he deserved to be in the top ten, I think. 
All right. Well, my number nine, Trevor Lawrence. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> so just like you said, Trevor Lawrence, a fantastic year. And he really showed out. Look, a second-year quarterback wins his division, a really hard-fought season, comes out and wins a playoff game as well. Like, a fantastic season for Trevor Lawrence. It's kind of only up from here. And I think he really separated himself from a lot of other quarterbacks in this league, especially guys that are kind of in that same, like, young uh, obviously, the young talent of quarterbacks right now is ridiculous because there's guys way above him on this list that are all you know similar ages, a little bit older. But I think he really separated himself from kind of that middle of the pack age. Um, the guys like um, Dak Prescott, Garoppolo, yep. uh, Kyler Murray, those kind of guys. He really separated himself from them. And that's why I saw so much value in his season this year. I like that take. Um, you ready for my number eight? Yeah, let's hear it. I went with old Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins. He had uh, like 4,547 passing yards, 29 touchdowns, 14 picks, which really sucks. Actually, out of my entire top 10, he uh, he's tied for the most picks on this list in my top 10. He's tied with Josh Allen. Kirk Cousins, look, I when he plays well, that Minnesota offense, and you and I can attest to this, is phenomenal. The reason he wasn't higher is because he is inconsistent as hell. But I'm just kind of like, he he only made my list because of how good they are when they are good. I like that. Yeah, that, that's a solid reasoning for it. My number eight, uh, kind of an interesting pick here, is Tom Brady. Hmm. So... It didn't look, you know, if you just watched the games, didn't seem like Tom Brady had a great year. And, of course, he attempted a shit ton of passes. But third in the league in passing yards at 45 years old is nothing to scoff at. 25 touchdowns. He kept it to nine interceptions. That's, you know, a little bit of damage control. And only got sacked 22 times with all the injuries on his offensive line. He was getting very good at just getting the ball out. Uh, you know, a situation that he's not really been in a lot. He's always kind of had a solid offensive line. So, yeah, Tom Brady comes in at eight for me just because, you know, he was 45 years old and he was doing it amongst the best. Yeah, and he still still made it to the playoffs, yeah. you know, negative record or not, he was there. <laughs> exactly. Not that they played well in the playoffs, but that's another yeah. conversation. This is the regular season. <laughs> right. Um, my number seven is Tua, um, oh. but what a bummer because I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish that he got to play more games this season. But look, Tua had 25 touchdowns, which is actually, you know, tied with Trevor Lawrence, who was my number 10, and Tua didn't even play, you know, the entire season. Tua had eight picks, um, which is, you know, relatively low on this list. It's, you know, he's not in the double digits, double digits, which I think is good, but he also didn't log that many games. 2,548 passing yards. I like Tua. I, I think from what I saw for him, um, from him in the games that he was, you know, completely healthy in, he gave the Dolphins a real chance to win, and he was very efficient, very safe, and he played good football. He's my number seven. Yeah, I, he didn't make my list. I, I really penalized guys that didn't play a ton of games. Um, and that's kind of what hurt him for me, but yeah, he did have a fantastic season. 
the fact that he was 12th in passing yards with only 13 games played is uh, just a, a true testament to how well he was playing. But I just, I value, um, you know, I'm trying to think of the word, but like not durability, but you, I think you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Where, like I guys understand. that can just tough it, like stick it out for a full season. And obviously none of that is in his control. Uh, it's in none of these guys control, you know, how many games they can play in a season due to injury. But I really do favor guys that start week in and week out, regardless of, you know, what's going on. I like it. Who's your number seven, Gray? My number seven is Jared Goff. Ooh, okay. And I'm not even that confident in this pick, but he had a fantastic season for Jared Goff. Like, okay, the completion percentage wasn't quite there. 65 isn't fantastic. It's not horrible, but 29 touchdowns. He only threw seven picks. This is Jared Goff we're talking about. And he had a pretty solid offense that he was running, but not one that people really looked at going into this season. Um, DeAndre Swift and uh, oh, blank on his name, Daryl Henderson. Is that, am I, I stupid? No. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, Daryl Henderson's on the Rams. Yeah. Uh, Jamal Williams. Yes. Jamal Williams. Williams. Yeah. Um, God. Yeah. That both of them were fantastic out of the backfield for golf. Uh, both of them were very good targets for him when he just had to check it down a little bit. But Amon Ross St. Brown missed a couple of weeks. He had multiple guys that missed time. He loses Hawkinson halfway through the season, and he still toughed it out. They almost made the playoffs after being one of the worst teams in the league for the last however many years. Yeah. Um, and you perfectly segued into my number six, who is Jared Goff as well. Um, well, you had him at seven. I have him a little bit higher absolutely phenomenal uh when i was making this list and i was kind of you know looking through uh pre pre-recording you know grayson and i both admitted that this was kind of hard to, you know it was a hard list to make Jared Goff, like i think it's time we kind of start considering him as you know one of the better quarterbacks in the league um 4438 passing yards and like you said 29 touchdowns and <laughs> seven picks which is really low for somebody that played the entire time he runs a great offense, and he, yeah, that's why he was my number six. He's fantastic. Yep, uh, a great season from him. My number six, uh, I'm sure you're going to disagree with this, is Justin Herbert. Oh, I, wow. I really like what Justin Herbert does, and I, I, maybe I'm just blinded by his numbers, but you know, the 4,700, 4, uh, it's good for second in the league, and then 25 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, but... With the inconsistencies in the health of his offense, the fact that he was able to produce, at a certain point, his primary target was Joshua Palmer and his running back, I think it was um, uh, Spiller, Isaiah Spiller. Like, right. that's not the offense he should be operating. But he persevered through it. They looked very good. They, they were the fifth seed in the playoffs, if they weren't in the division with the Chiefs, they would have looked even better. And I really do think that he's showing that he's not just becoming a great quarterback in this league, but that he is one of them already only into his third year. You know, I I don't like that at number six, but I, I understand why. But that's okay because you're not going to like my number five. 
I went. I just went ahead and threw Lamar Jackson in there. Oh. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Only played eleven games, but uber effective when he was out on the field and you know what i would say with only 11 games 17 touchdowns to finish with that's not really that bad at all he also had a top 10 qbr which you know everybody they like to bring up running back running back but this guy can play and yeah that's why he was my number five uh, see, look, I like the pick because Lamar Jackson's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But like I said, I, I valued you know how many games you played very heavily, and you know obviously injuries are out of the control of anybody. But it, it's tough to say that you know this season Lamar Jackson was a top ten quarterback because he only played twelve games. What he did in those twelve games, nothing short of amazing. Like the fact that the Ravens were as good as they were was 100% because of Lamar Jackson. But like I said, I, I couldn't value the games played. But we'll go ahead and give you my number five Kirk Cousins. He outplayed every single expectation that we've had for Kirk Cousins. Because before the season, everybody's out here throwing Kirk Cousins' name in the mud. He comes out throws for 4500 passing yards, 29 touchdowns, 14 interceptions is a little a little rough, but it's Kirk Cousins. You got to give him a break somewhere. And it was with a, a very solid receiving core, but guys that he could trust and he's built up trust with these receivers. They added a new tight end middle of the season with Hawkinson. That proved to be very good for him. Justin Jefferson is probably the best wide receiver in the NFL and Kirk Cousins is making all that happen. Yeah, I I I did have him at number 8, but I I do like him at number 5. It's just for me the only thing that knocked him down um three spots was was his inconsistency. You know, when they were bad, they were Kirk Cousins bad, but when they were good, I mean, they were rolling. He yeah. he did lead his team to a what, 13 and 4? Yeah. Like it, yeah, there's so, a reason they're 13 and four, and it's because they have a great quarterback. Exactly. Um, but yeah, just the inconsistency is what knocked him down. But I, I like that take with him at number five. Um, <laughs> so, all right, number four. So, oh man, I want I wanted to find every fucking reason to put Burrow below Josh Allen, but I just couldn't because Burrow can do everything that Josh Allen can do. But Josh Allen, for some reason, loved turning the ball over this season still effective he had 4,283 yards 35 touchdowns which is a lot among this list but he did have 14 picks ah, yeah that's why Josh Allen is number four I, I wanted to put Burrow at four so bad but no nah, it, it had to be Josh Allen he turns the ball over too much that's my number four as well yeah look Josh Allen I, I'm not even trying to say like he took a step back this year I think he just got kind of like reality checked you know, people are starting to get his number. They know he's gonna—he's a threat to run the ball. They know that he likes to throw the ball deep. That was their game plan all season. People just caught him off guard, and it's going to happen. He just has to make adjustments. He could go right back up into that top three just after, you know, a, a great season where he maybe limits the turnovers next year, and, it, you know, it'd be a whole different story. But – the way that that offense was run this season just didn't favor Josh Allen, at least statistically, and that's what hurt him for me as well. Yep. Um, so I kind of gave it away, but my number three was Burrow. 
uh, had uh, around 200 more passing yards than Josh Allen, had the same amount of touchdowns but less picks. And I think it just kind of comes down to Burrow – Burrow plays a more simplified offense than Josh Allen does, but Joe Burrow can throw, you know, 30 to 40 to sometimes even 50 passes a game like Josh Allen can. Burrow can sling and has the arm that Josh Allen has, but Burrow, you know, even in his short time in the league, is already kind of a better, you know, decision maker. He's a little bit more consistent as well. So, yeah, that's why Burrow was over Allen for me at my number three spot. I got Jalen Hurts at three. And Ooh, it's, it probably seems controversial. <laughs> it is, bro. It, it does appear that way. But Are you a Bengals fan. <laughs> I I do really like this Bengals team. But no. <laughs> I, I just I am a let me try and find a way to explain this. I'm a traditionalist quarterback kind of guy. I favor passing quarterbacks personally it's just how it goes it's just how i am and yes it is exciting to see jalen hurts run all over the field i'm a guy i i think mike vick is one of my favorite quarterbacks ever but it's not i wouldn't say he's one of the best and yes jalen hurts can throw the ball amongst the best so he should do it more Okay. Is that is is that all you had to say? It's just that look, with Jalen Hurts, obviously a phenomenal season. 3700 yards, that's 10th best in the league, 22 passing touchdowns, 6 interceptions. The glaring thing here is he only attempted 460 passes. Everybody else here was over 560 that's ahead of him. That's why the interceptions are higher. And I just, I don't know. Obviously, his running is his biggest attribute. Personally, I believe that. It, because, and it's not, I'm not saying that that's what he's the best at. I think it's his best attribute because it makes people think of him, you know, doing something else. It's kind of what we talked about with Josh Allen. But I just think that, the, you know, Burrow and Mahomes are obviously the two that are left. They're both ahead of him. And I think they distinguish themselves as quarterbacks because – I'm just enamored by the throws they make and, and the consistent they ha- consistency they have passing the ball. Okay, I mean, I I definitely I agree in the sense that you can argue that Burrow and Hurts at like you know two and three are interchangeable. I, I definitely get that, but look, Burrow or not Burrow, Hurts is my number two because he doesn't play on the Bengals. No, I'm just kidding. Only a little bit kidding. Look, he had the passing yards. Hurts did. It's it's really not that bad. I, I think, you know, with under 4,000 yards, 22 touchdowns, a really low amount of picks, but 13 rushing touchdowns and almost 1,000 rushing yards on the season. And especially if you take um, his Super Bowl performance as well, he's absolutely incredible. I think you could be looking at top two dual threat quarterback of all time. I think the only guy that can be argued about uh, argued over Hertz at this point is Fran Tarkington only because he was like the pioneer of it. And the first one to do it back in like the seventies, but yeah, Hertz was in my opinion, an obvious number two over Burrow. He had so much more to an offense with that run game. And I mean, you saw the touchdown to AJ Brown grace and he can still sling it like the rest of them can. That's why Burrow was my number two. 
or hurt. Sorry, keep getting confused. Yeah, it's just because you wanted to put Burrow at two. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, look, Joe Burrow is my number two, and I'm I'm just blinded by the numbers, man. Thirty five touchdowns. It's it's huge. Thirty five touchdowns is huge, and t- kind of to go back to the Burrow and and Allen thing. Burrow and Allen had pretty similar stats. Played the same amount of games. Same amount of touchdowns, but Burrow threw two less picks. That's like the only thing that separates Joe Burrow and Josh Allen. It's just that I think that what Burrow did this season, you know, with his team, the way that they had to fight, uh, I think the Eagles, you know, were uber talented all over the field. The Bengals are still dealing with this offensive line problem, and the, the running game was absolutely struggling for weeks and weeks. And Joe Burrow still persevered. They didn't lose a game from Halloween all the way up until the AFC Championship. It's impressive. So that's the main reason I have Burrow at two over Hurts. But I don't know. Yeah, like you said, they're, I think they're interchangeable. It's just up to what you prefer to see out of your quarterback. Yeah, okay. I mean... Yeah, I, I think at that point it is kind of just interchangeable, you know, opinion-based. But my number one and your number one as well, it's got to be Kenny Pickett. I'm just kidding. It's Patrick Mahomes. Listen, the only quarterback to throw over 5,000 yards, the only quarterback to throw over 35 touchdowns, and he also only had 12 picks, which is the same amount of Joe Burrow. It's I mean, yeah, we we saw an MVP season. That's exactly the award that he won. He deserved it. He's also the Super Bowl MVP. He's Super Bowl champion. Patrick Mahomes, I, one of the best quarterback seasons I've ever seen. Yeah, it's got to be. <laughs> like, you know, you throw over 5,000, you throw over 40 touchdowns, you're the best quarterback that year. Yeah. And it really, <laughs> like, it, it's impressive because, like, Listen, you know, I, I think we can both admit that Hertz and Burrow are kind of interchangeable. And I would even – I'll go ahead and say Josh Allen is a little bit interchangeable as well, depending on how you feel. Joe Burrow – or not Joe Burrow. Patrick Mahomes is in, like, a completely different realm from these guys. And, you know, the guys that I just mentioned are in amazing quarterback talents. Patrick Mahomes is just that damn good. Yeah, and, and there's two stats right here that completely separate him from everybody else outside of the passing yards and touchdowns. Yards per game, 308.8. Second place was Joe Burrow, 279.7. If you're averaging over 300 yards per game and your team's the best in the league and you just won a Super Bowl and you won the MVP, how could you not be the first? And then average yards per attempt, he was second only to Tua, who you know didn't play nearly as many games, but at eight point one, it it's it's pretty damn good, and <laughs> I just yeah I, I am enamored by what Patrick Mahomes can do on a football field. Yeah, and the thing that's even crazier is we we saw it in the Super Bowl, and I brought it up earlier. He doesn't have to have your 308, you know, per game to win games. He can slow down his offense, run it a little bit more basic, and pass for under 200 yards, still get three touchdowns. At Yeah, Patrick Mahomes is uh, he's on track to be, you know, one of the greats. If not, he – I mean, already kind of is. If he had to retire right now, I mean, where would you rank him among the best? 
if he retired right now, it's kind of tough because like, longevity is a big part of it. But he's already got more Super Bowls than Rodgers, got more Super Bowls than Favre. You know, it's more MVPs than you know Roethlisberger. It's as many Super Bowls as Roethlisberger. I mean, he's yeah, got as many Patrick Super Mahomes Bowls as Peyton. Yep, right, we could go on and on. And he's <laughs> only, he's young. He's already a two-time MVP too. Yep, uh, scary. All right, I got to give an honorable mention. I felt so bad for not putting this guy on the list. Danny Dimes, Vanilla yeah. Vic, man. Oh my god, <laughs> I, I'm I like was beating myself up over Gino or Daniel Jones at 10. And I just went with Gino because look, Daniel Jones, it, it came down to the numbers. Daniel Jones doesn't throw the ball as much. 3,200 yards, 15 passing touchdowns. He only threw five picks. Yeah. That is yeah. ridiculous from a guy who started every game except for their final game when they'd already clinched their spot. Yeah. Danny Dimes, um, he won, He was one of my honorable mentions too, and and it was it was kind of because like you know like you just brought up he doesn't have the stats, but you know other than um, other than Jalen Hurts, it's got to be Daniel Jones as far as like dual threat quarterbacks as far as like you know second best right it has to be him. It, yeah, it's kind of him and Josh Allen. Um, I, I would consider Josh Allen dual threat because of how much he runs the ball. I'd say that he's not as high percentage uh, as Daniel Jones, especially later in the season. Daniel Jones started getting you know a few more attempts than normal, but 708 rushing yards, seven rushing touchdowns, including uh, uh, one performance over 100 rushing yards, uh, another performance at 91 with two rushing touchdowns in that one. Daniel Jones was phenomenal this year, and he's about to get paid. Yeah, Um he, he definitely, I think, has proven that he's their franchise guy. And their offense, you know, it doesn't – they don't need him to sling it. You know, they have Saquon, a really good running back. They have some decent wide receivers like Richie James and I want to say his name is Isaiah Hodges that kind of like came out of nowhere in a couple of games this season and played really well for him. So, yeah, this Giants team is in great hands, and it's, you know, all because of Danny Dimes. He needs to get paid. Yes, pay Daniel Jones. I don't know about $35 million that that's been floating around, but – We'll see. All right. That's enough of the NFL. Let's talk MLB. We're we're quickly approaching the World Baseball Classic, which means we're quickly approaching the MLB season. And, look, it wouldn't be an MLB season without the Yankees having an injured starting pitcher. (laughs) And they've got two of them. (laughs) Frankie Montas, starting pitcher for the Yankees, will undergo shoulder surgery that could cause him to miss the entire season. So you guys' big trade deadline move last year, uh, it's just going to stay that way for now. <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's a bummer. I, I was really excited for him. And, you know, he, he was kind of an investment as well. Like you just brought up, he's a trade deadline move, and now he's not even going to play this season. It's, it's awesome. Great yep. news. And then you guys' other starting pitcher that will be missing a little bit of time. I don't know how significant the injury is. I haven't seen too much about it. But Nestor Cortez, uh, his injury took him out of the World Baseball Classic roster, uh, which put Kyle Freeland into the squad out of, uh, from Colorado. But, yeah, it's tough for the Yankees, man. I Okay, well, hold on. Let me rephrase that. It's tough this season. You guys have, you know, your 27 rings or whatever. But... 
it is tough to see this. Not for me, for Yankees fans. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, and especially you know coming in the um coming in, like before we even have played a game. <laughs> There's not even spring training yet, and these guys are dropping. So it, it is a bummer, but hopefully they'll be back and you know throwing like nothing ever happened. We'll see. And, of course, it wouldn't be MLB news without us talking about Jacob deGrom getting hurt again. Uh, right now he's dealing with just some minor tightness in his side. Uh, he's saying it's not going to be a problem. I'm sure it will be, and I'm sure he'll only pitch like 10 games this season. <laughs> but those 10 games. <laughs> oh, he'll be hitting 104. <laughs> yes, he will. All right. And something that uh, it, it doesn't really matter to me all that much, but the MLB is going to be more strict on illegal pitches and balk rules. Um, you know, kind of following this pitch timer thing. Uh, another thing that's weird because, and I put a link just in case you don't know about this, but Luis Garcia has an interesting windup to say the least. Um, he takes like, I don't know, three, four steps in his windup and then throws the ball, which he is now not allowed to do um, at all. Uh, he will be immediately called. And this move was already illegal, uh, but it, it wasn't called because it's his like established motion is kind of how people reasoned it. Well, now that reasoning means nothing. And <laughs> this just continues to throw off the pacing of pitchers. We talked about it um, last week where guys you know manipulate the pace of the game. This is one guy that does it. Fantastically, he can you know throw off your timing completely as a hitter, just by you know taking an extra step or moving his shoulders away. You know when there's nobody on base, like things like that, are the intricacies of baseball that people don't appreciate, and it's just one more thing that they're trying to take away. Yeah, and as a non-baseball fan, that's you know definitely not as serious as you, Grayson. But I love the intricacies of baseball. Nestor Cortez is such a weird, interesting pitcher. Kind of in the same boat as Johnny, Johnny Cueto, too. I've seen Johnny Cueto wind up and, like, take his step and just pause with one leg down <laughs> and then throw the ball. I've seen him do quick throws, and it's just so interesting, the thing that, you know, the things that baseball players do to get an upper hand. And, you know, with this one especially, my favorite, one of my favorite uh, intricacies of baseball is, you know, pitch timing and wind-ups and shit like that. And they're kind of taking it away. Yeah. You know, and I just I don't know how I feel about it. I wonder what Luis Garcia is going to do. I mean, he'll have to change his windup, but that's got to be that's got to be a little bit more of a serious change like what a non-fan would think, right? It is because a big part of a lot of pitchers uh, you know, motions and even hitters as well is kind of you do the exact same thing every time because it's timing mechanisms. It's like the biggest thing you can do in baseball. And as a pitcher, you know, everybody, especially when you're pitching from the windup, you do your certain things like and you kind of your internal clock runs everything until you release the ball. And Luis Garcia obviously, you know, manipulated the hell out of this rule, but it was just, you know, something that was allowed, something that he never got called on. So he kept doing it. You know, why would you? not break the rules if you're not going to get caught. Yeah, I, and I don't know. I, I know it's kind of it, – it's got to be one of baseball's moves to kind of make the game, you know, faster. But now 
I didn't agree with some of the other rules that we talked about on uh, one of the uh, more previous um, podcasts that we've recorded, but like now you're messing with you know, players' core mechanisms, like why they're in the league you know, with like pitch timing and stuff. And I just, I really, really don't like this rule. Yeah, I think it's ridiculous. But let's move on. Some fun news. Derek Jeter is joining Fox's MLB, uh, uh, Fox MLB's team beginning this season. So you're going to have Derek Jeter, A-Rod, Poppy. I think this is going to be fantastic content. Uh, I hate A-Rod with every fiber in my body. And I don't think that Derek Jeter is one of the greatest baseball players of all time. But I will say it will be very entertaining to see Big Poppy yelling at them. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't wait. Um, I, I like watching Derek Jeter in interviews. He's a super entertaining guy. And I, I think it'll be fun, you know, to hear him talk about baseball on like a national level. Yeah. It'll be good. And he's also going to be in MLB The Show for the first time uh, since he's retired, which is, you know, fun news for me as somebody that plays MLB The Show. Also, put it on PC already. <laughs> Are you going to get that broken Jeter card? Dude, I'd love to. If they put the game on PC, I'm not booting on my PlayStation. <laughs> All right. A little bit more news. Julio Rodriguez is the cover athlete for Topps 2023 Series 1. And as a baseball card guy myself, I absolutely love it. The cover looks great. Love it. Already ordered myself a hobby box as a birthday present for myself. And, um, yeah, uh, it's awesome to see the young guys getting represented uh, you know, throughout the league, we saw it with uh, uh, Jazz. He's going to be the cover athlete for MLB The Show. Now Julio Rodriguez uh, getting the shining achievement of being on the top baseball cards it is fantastic. I like it. Um, you got a lot of a lot of players in the MLB, and I would say more so in the MLB than in any other sport in the world right now. You kind of have a league that's being taken over by young, flashy, awesome baseball players like. You just mentioned um, Jazz and Julio Rodriguez, but you also got guys like Cruz and Tatis and all these guys that are just so exciting and fun to watch. Ronald Acuna, another one. It's just very cool to see that, you know, the MLB is kind of run by these flashy, entertaining talents. Yeah. And uh, another thing, and I kind of touched on it earlier when we opened up the episode, but uh, pitchers and catchers reported a spring training, uh, I believe it was yesterday or Wednesday, uh, all position players will be reporting. Uh, it's some, uh, you know, most of them are there already, but uh, officially reporting uh, throughout the week. And, you know, it's just another sign the baseball is back, and I cannot wait. Yeah, it'll be fun. I- I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. I can't wait to watch some of those spring training games. That- spring training games, sorry, at uh, Steinbrenner Field in Florida. It'll be great. Yeah. Uh, also, the fact that that, the way that that whole thing works, the Yankee Stadium down in Tampa, is wild. What do you, What do you mean? Like what about it? Like where? It, like my mom's family is from that area. I, I was down there just a couple of uh, what, uh, like month, two months ago, just about. Um, and like the fact, it's just like in the middle of everything. Interesting. I I, I never knew that. Yeah, it, it's like a huge park, and you know, there's always Yankees players down there. Um, whenever they play the Rays, I believe they practice there if they have time. It, it's it's a very interesting thing to see because it's a pretty 
damn big park to be a spring training field. <laughs> don't the um don't the Yankees let other teams play there too? As in like host their home games, right? Or no? Maybe. Um their home spring training games. I don't really know how that works. I'm not too sure. Most of them have their own parks down there because it's not quite the same. Cause like um the Grapefruit League over in Arizona or uh sorry, the Grapefruit League's in Florida. Uh the, the Cactus League is a a lot of the games are played at like the same complex and like a lot of the practices are done at the same complex. And so it's a little bit more of like a community there. Whereas in Florida, the teams are kind of spread out around. I know like the Braves have cool, cool Ray park. I think is what it's called. Uh, I know the Red Sox have their own field. Yankees have theirs. A couple other teams have their own fields there. So yes, the, the spring training field situation is weird, but um, I, I do love to see spring training games. I, I've never been to one. I, I think it would be so cool to take a uh, take a trip down to Tampa and watch a Yankee spring training game. Be awesome. Let me tell you, whenever you're ready to do that, I 100% will be there with you. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. And then last thing, the Padres signed starting pitcher Michael Walker. This is just – I don't know, man. I don't like the Padres this season. I think they're making a bunch of moves that – Really don't move the needle for me. Obviously, Xander Bogarts is a big move, but it just kind of crowds that infield talent just a little bit more, and I'm not very happy with their starting pitching. I don't think Michael Walker is a, a needle mover. Obviously, you have you Darvish, Joe Musgrove, a couple of other guys, but, yeah, I just I, I don't think the Padres are as good as people are say, saying they're going to be. Interesting. I, I don't know. Michael Walker, I, I think he's – he'll definitely go into their rotation, I think. He's, he's decent. I think I think he could make a little bit of a difference, but maybe not so much of a difference that I would want to sign him. Yeah, yeah, I see that. All right, let's get into the Champions League. Ooh, first time. Yeah. Ready. First time we're talking about the Champions League. We're a little late. It's around a 16, but whatever. There's we don't care. Plenty of time. It's going to be going on, what, into like June, I think the final is. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. there's plenty of time, and <laughs> – with how these games are spread out, there's no telling how often we'll actually talk about it. But luckily enough, we had some matches this week. So we'll start it off. AC Milan versus Spurs. AC Milan takes it 1-0. I'm not really surprised, honestly. I'm not either. Uh, Tottenham have been kind of slipping, and their offense has not been uh, – offense. Their attackers have not been, you know, really that great. And we have talked about on the podcast before, that's where they're most loaded – but you haven't really been seeing the best performances out of Harry Kane or Hyungmin Son, and I will get into that whenever we preview um, their uh, their game this weekend um, here in the podcast. But yeah, AC Milan take it. It's their first knockout round game in nine years. Yes, the Rossonieri are back, and I I am very excited because listen, AC Milan are a huge Champions League team. They have seven wins, which is the second most in UCL history only behind Real Madrid by seven championships. They've won 14. They're like the Yankees of the Champions League. Um, but, yeah, AC Milan, fantastic performance against Arsenal. Yeah, um, they've, sorry, got, sorry. <laughs> yeah they've got a, a solid lineup, a, a pretty young lineup as well, mixed in with some veteran talent. Obviously, Olivier Giroud is uh, nothing close to youth, 
um, <laughs> up at, uh, in the top, but Rafael Leao and Brahim Diaz, the, the goal scorer uh, in this match, they make a huge difference in the attacking. Uh, obviously, Tonali in the midfield. Uh, it was interesting to see Hernandez kind of playing more of um, a left mid than left back. Uh, that was weird. But I, I do really like this Milan team. Yeah, uh, Teo Hernandez, listen, I, I don't think it's weird at all. I'm going to disagree with you here. He was a left back, but AC Milan have totally unlocked this kid's potential. He is so fast and just so powerful. He reminds me a lot of Reese James. Um, like I said, his sprint speed, he can catch up to almost any player in the world and body the fuck out of him. And that's exactly how uh, AC Milan scored. Look, it was a 50-50 aerial ball. I'm not too sure who the player was that uh, Teo Hernandez went up against, but I think it may have been Romeo. Hernandez completely just bullies him, wins the ball, shoots the ball, um, and it kind of gets deflected into the path of Brahim Diaz, who scores. But listen, I like how you brought up Rafael Leal because I have some stats about him too. Remember this kid's name. He is a god. That is all I have to say. Listen, eight out of ten of his dribbles completed. He was 81% in his accurate passing. He uh, he completed uh, 17 out of 21 he was uh, he completed three out of four of his long balls. He won ten out of fifteen ground duels. Won two out of four aerial duels. Finished with a seven point seven match rating. Uber affected the entire game, and he's a big reason why AC Milan won. Love it. Uh, yeah, I, I've you know seen the name for what probably two years, three years now. I feel like yeah. his name's been kind of floating around, and yeah, he's he's here to stay. He is a fantastic young player. Yeah, for sure. Um, I wanted to bring up that Romero, who we brought up before on this podcast. I think he he was one of the ones who – he got the red card against Manchester City when yes. Tottenham beat Manchester City. Uh, he was <laughs> – excuse me – super lucky not to see red in this game. He uh, had an off-the-ball foul against uh, Teo Hernandez. They were kind of making a run – or Hernandez was making a run, and her, you know, Romero just stopped him, <laughs> fouled the shit out of him. No call, but – he did have a complete Brexit tackle on Sandro Tonale, which was his red card. He was, like I said, super lucky not to see red. And another thing I wanted to bring up in this game, Harry Kane, not impressive at all. Well, first of all, Tottenham didn't score. Second of all, Harry Kane's expected goals, which is an interesting stat, Grayson, in the world of soccer. Kind of like, I feel like it's kind of like a baseball-esque stat. It definitely Expected is. goals. It takes like, yeah. It takes your it kind of takes like all of the um the chances of the game for one player and kind of compiles it into like how what their expected goal should be. Harry Kane was 0.14, which is extremely low. Another thing that was low for Harry Kane, 48% uh accurate passes. He completed 14 of 29, which is not good at all. And yeah, it, Tottenham got killed by AC Milan in this game. And even even when I was watching the highlights, it just looked like every 50-50 ball, Milan was more aggressive, they were quicker, they were more clinical when they attacked, they had better chances, and all in all, just AC Milan, the score does not reflect how AC Milan played. They completely battered Spurs the entire time. All right, well, let's get into this next match. Bayern defeats PSG 1-0, the goal coming from Kingsley Coman in the 53rd minute. This game was... A, a relatively close game, but I feel like Byron just looked a little bit better. Yeah, um, 
one of the commentators said it perfectly. Bayern are a team. PSG are individuals. They're individual players. Bayern completely deserved it. 54% possession, which is not that much, you know, compared to the 46 that PSG had. But listen to this, Grayson. Bayern had 18 total shots. PSG had nine. Seven of those shots from Bayern's 18 were on target. PSG had four of their nine on target. And yeah, I, Bayern were just more clinical the entire time. Uh, weird to see Mbappe not start. I think they were kind of resting him because PSG had been busy with, you know, Ligue 1 and Coupe de France. But Mbappe comes in, doesn't do anything, and Bayern take it one nothing. Um, yeah, that, that's really all I got, except for the Parvard red card. Um, that, that one was kind of silly, though. Uh, his first challenge on Neymar was not needed at all. There were defenders behind him. He just sort of ran through Neymar, which seems to be easy to do to, you know, the flashy Brazilians like Neymar. Uh, but Pavard's second challenge on Messi, it was a good foul, but, you know, he already has a yellow. That was his second one. He was sent off, and Byron took it one nothing. Yeah, I have some questions for this PSG lineup. I understand that you don't typically feel like – top top lineups in the Champions League but like what why is Mbappe not starting why are they running a two striker formation with Messi and Neymar I just don't get it yeah and the thing with PSG is I, I want to say they recently just got knocked out of the Coupe de France too um and they recently just lost their first league uh, game uh, of the entire season uh, in January so yeah, things are kind of slowing down here for PSG. Um, and I want to say that this Bayern game, you may have to correct me, I want to say it was in Paris as well. Yes. And, you know, exactly. And in the Champions League, Grayson, you have to use your home field advantage to the best of, you know, its ability. And, you know, Bayern came into Paris and won one to nothing. And now PSG go into the second leg down on aggregate. They're going to have to play in front of, uh, a Bayern crowd, which always has Allianz Arena rocking. And, yeah, PSG are probably fucked for the second leg. Yeah, I I'm, I'm still can't get over this PSG lineup. Like, you started a 16-year-old at right wing. <laughs> what are you doing? You're like It's Bayern. <laughs> especially when you look at this Bayern lineup that they put across from them. You've got, like, th just the four across the midfield. They had Yo uh, Yao Cancelo playing up on the left. But still, you know, kind of pushing back more, just still playing like more of a left wing back to assist in this back three because Pavard is a little bit more of a right back than center back as well. But Leroy Sané, Kimmich, Goretzka, Musiala, Coman, Chupo Moting, who's been on fantastic form throughout this year. And then the defense was solid. Upamecano, Delight, and of course Pavard and uh, Sommer and goal. That's a fantastic lineup. Why are you not? trying to match that energy yeah i i don't know um because you can't you can't bet on the fact that oh you know by the time the second leg comes around we'll be well rested and we'll come in with our full starting lineup can't do that in the champions league you especially can't do it when you're playing against Bayern and you're gonna have to go to munich and try to win uh the allianz arena is not an easy place to win so yeah, very. I, I'm I'm with you. Very confused with what PSG is uh, has done here. Yeah, and, and for Bayern to play so well, they didn't start. Um, they didn't even start Alfonso Davies. Yeah, he came on and got the assist for Coman. Yeah, so still making an impact off the bench. That's that's huge. Also, I'm I'm just looking. This is weird. Uh, I saw Ibrahimovic at the bottom of the the 
Bayern uh, roster, and I was dumbfounded for a second, but it's uh, a German guy, Aryan Ibrahimovic, 17 years old. I it just oh. I had no idea that guy existed. I thought I missed something. <laughs> yeah, I, I've only known the one. <laughs> Interesting. All right, well, let's get into this next match. I'm sure you've got plenty to say about this one. Dortmund won, Chelsea nil. What do you think, Luke? Well, first of all, if you're going to make me have, you know, two two browsers um, or two tabs, sorry, open, one, you know, taking notes during my econ lecture and one watching the Chelsea game, you got to give me the win. I mean, I am I am trying to, you know, 50-50 my school, take notes and watch Chelsea play. But now, Grayson, <laughs> I'm a little bit fed up. The only excuse I will give to Chelsea in this game is Dortmund have a ridiculous 12th man aspect to them. And I want to say that this was one of the first times the yellow wall, um, the infamous, you know, behind the goal stands there where it is just filled with Dortmund ultras. Um, I want to say it was like the first time they had been like completely full for a Champions League game. I may be wrong there. But yeah, Chelsea lose one nothing. The chances were there for Chelsea. Um, but yeah, I'm just I'm just kind of fed up now. What do you think of this game? I, I'm a little bit confused. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier um, before the recording about the lineup that Chelsea fielded in this one. Um, there, there's some tweaks that you could make. I do like this lineup, but like like Mudrik keeps coming off the field. I know it was in the 71st minute, but let him play a full match. I, I completely agree. Um, thank you for saying that, by the way, because he's been kind of getting shit on. Um, <laughs> I saw this one comment on a uh, on an Instagram post in my feed that was like, Chelsea fans, um, he, he had that 30 minutes against Liverpool, and now they think he's like the next spawn of Eden Hazard, which is so funny because my stake your claim after that game was that <laughs> Madrid would be better than Hazard. Um, and I felt personally attacked by that comment, Grayson, but – I, I agree. Listen, he's, he only finished the match with a 6.6, so he wasn't doing all that. He wasn't the best player on the field. He certainly has never been as good as his Liverpool sub. Leave him on the field. He's a great work ethic guy. He's super fast. He he likes to play defense, surprisingly, from, a wing, from the wing spot. And I think, you know, as the game goes along, he can be way more effective, but Chelsea are not giving him that chance. Yeah, and as well as that, I, I... – feel like it's interesting that they're still benching Kovacic even after he's you know come back from the injury I think he's gotten a, a couple of minutes now in the Premier League you're still starting Ruben Loftus-Cheek well he's actually a new starter um I, I can't really remember what player got dropped for Ruben Loftus-Cheek but Ruben Loftus-Cheek finished the Dortmund game with a 7.1 he also played really well against Fulham I want to say um, no, it was West Ham. Fulham, he got subbed on. West Ham, he started. I kind of like Ruben Loftus-Cheek, but I, I do agree with you. I would like to see more of Kovacic, but a little bit off of that, I, I just wanted to make uh, to make this be known as well. Chelsea had 21 shots this game, Grayson, and 14 of them were on target. Dortmund's goalie finished with a 9.2. Wow. <laughs> and it's just – it is so frustrating. Like, this team – needs to come together absolutely needs to come together because now we're down in the first leg against Dortmund of course we will see them in the Stanford Bridge it's not like we lost at home 
Um, and But in the Premier League even, we're drawing to Fulham and West Ham. Granted, those are rivalry tough games, two London teams. But this Chelsea team is so attacking-minded. Why can't you score goals? I, I am very fed up with this Chelsea team right now. And But they're so fun and entertaining to watch. And the, the goals are just not there. They're not there. Yeah, it, it can be as fun as entertaining as it can be to just continue losing. Exactly, but playing well. And last thing about this game, uh, Enzo Fernandez, uh, he finished with a 7.1, but his first mistake, uh, his first crucial Chelsea mistake, I will say, he's in a one-on-one versus, um, oh my gosh, I have his name written down, um, Adi Yemi? This is the Dortmund player that scored. Yeah, he's in a 1v1. It, it clearly came off of a break, but Enzo, Enzo's one-on-one with this guy. And Adeyemi kind of shit on him. I, I Actually, I won't even say kind of. He fucked him. And that ended up being the goal. It's just some stupid counterattack goal. But, you know, I, I would like to see Enzo Fernandez, uh, you know, one-on-one with a player. I'd like to see him do a lot better. But, you know, shit happens. It sure does. All right, let's talk about this last match. Not a, a you know a huge matchup between clubs that we really pay too much attention to, but uh, Benfica beats Club Bruges two uh, nil. Goal is coming from Yao Mario and uh, off a penalty in the fifty first, and uh, Neres in the eighty eighth. This was actually a, a very good game for Benfica. Yeah, um, I, I don't have as much notes on this game as I do the other games, but. Benfica sound defense all across the board. I want to say they were all above um, uh, a seven match rating, which is really good. Uh, Benfica have a really underrated goalie. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name, but I know his first name is Odysseus. He's a Greek goalie, really tall, super good. Um, and yeah, Benfica were able to muster a, a, a clean sheet against Club Bruges and score twice. And David Nerez, even at Ajax, I knew he was a crazy talent. And it's just cool to see him still play well, um, especially on like a Champions League stage, even if it is against Club Bruges. Yeah, it's fantastic to see. And dude, I don't understand. There's always like one team, like Club Bruges or even like Anderlecht out of Belgium as well. They just like sneak into the round of 16 every year. <laughs> that is true. I, I don't get it. And then we get matchups like this. Like it, it almost seems like the draw is rigged. <laughs> Think so? Yeah. Like they, it seems like the draw is rigged for better matchups. Milan versus Spurs, a very even matchup. Dortmund, Chelsea, a matchup that people want to see. Both squads, a lot of young talent. Bayern, PSG, two of the biggest teams in the world just a field full of superstars. And you have Benfica Club Bruce. <laughs> yeah. And then, I, like, uh, I'll go ahead and talk about the matches that are happening next week that we'll talk about uh, more in depth once they've happened. But Tuesday, you've got Liverpool, Real Madrid. Two top teams, you know, historically. Frankfurt, Napoli. Napoli's, you know, I'd say they're the better team. Eintracht Frankfurt is a solid squad. And then... You've got Leipzig versus Man City, uh, money versus money, Inter, Porto. Inter's probably just going to run away with that one, but these four matches that happened this week, it just seems like they were all, you know, like manufactured that way. Yeah, and that's you're 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 bringing up the tough things here because uh, FIFA FIFA been under you know 
We've uh, been under constant, you know, pressure from fans, you know, saying that the UCL draws are rigged. And yeah, you're kind of hitting on it there. And I, I agree with you. But really, I think, you know, kind of previewing, we'll, we'll talk about it more next week, but Napoli could surprise a lot of people. They're killing the Serie A right now. Eintracht Frankfurt, I, I think this could go horribly for them. <laughs> and Napoli fans love the Champions League, man. Have you have you seen the clips of like what Naples does during like a Champions League game? I have not. So Napoli kind of, uh, their stadium is right in the middle of Naples and it's right around like all these apartments and all this kind of stuff. Well, you know, like the end of the Champions League song where it goes like the champions, you know what I'm talking about? The entire city of Naples has a tradition where they scream that final line and it, it gives me chills to watch it every single time. Napoli is a hard place to go and win, especially in the Champions League. Yeah, and a big thing here that I'm seeing right now, we've got three Bundesliga teams into the round of 16, three Premier League teams into the round of 16, and we've got... <clears throat> Sorry. <coughs> yeah, Excuse me. Three Italian squads uh, make it into the round of 16. It's... Yeah. It, it's kind of weird to only see one Spanish team in the Champions League in the round of 16. That's a good point, but you know, it's kind of been the way that it is. I think uh I think um Barcelona and Manchester United just played each other in the Europa League. It was a 2-2 draw uh at the Camp Nou. Um yeah, Spanish Spanish football, uh, sorry, Spanish soccer. I'm not going to adhere to the Europeans here because I'm American. Um Spanish soccer is kind of on a little bit of a hiatus. Of course, Real Madrid won the Champions League last year versus Liverpool, but they're kind of the only threats in European um, soccer as far as the Champions League goes. So, yeah, I, I kind of understand why there's only one Spanish team, but it is weird to see. I'll agree with you there. Yeah, you got two Portuguese teams, no Sp- or one Spanish. It's crazy. Interesting. All right, well, let's get into the Prem. So, we'll go ahead and talk about uh, Wednesday – I believe it was Wednesday's match. Um, Man City, Arsenal. Man City takes it 3-1. This is this shakes things up. Yes, it does. Um, I think Manchester City are now top of the table. Um, and it's, I think on paper, and I think we both mentioned this on the podcast before, it's kind of deserved. Look, Arsenal are playing well, but Manchester City has Pep Guardiola. And I'm not even going to talk about the players. I mean, just look at their lineup. It's filled with awesome talent. And I, I think it's it's it was kind of a long time coming. It, it was a fun run for Arsenal, but Manchester City, man, that's they're the team to beat. And Arsenal did not did not come prepared to play against City. Yeah, and I will say right now, Arsenal has one less game played than Man City. So right now they're they're pretty dead even, uh, both with 16 wins, three draws. Man City has one more loss, uh, but they're tied right now in points. Man City just has the goal differential. 59 goals for. That is ridiculous. That's 12 more than Arsenal, who's second best. Yeah, and I think your your bad game from Arsenal, it comes with uh, it comes from these three players here. Martin Odegaard, uh, Nikita, who I think lined up as striker for them, and Tomiyasu, who's uh, either their left or right back. I don't know. He's one of the fullbacks. They all had match ratings that were under – um, six points, which is like horrible. 
And if you have three players from your starting 11 that are under, um, you know, a six match rating, you're fucked and you're not going to win, especially against a team like Manchester City. And, you know, they took complete advantage. But one good part for Arsenal, Jorginho, not too sure if this is his debut or not. I don't think it is because, you know, the deadline ended a while ago. I, he's probably had time to go ahead and get to the starting lineup. But he was actually Arsenal's best player match rating-wise. He ended up with a 7.3, which I think is a good sign for Arsenal. It's one of one of the few you can pull from this game. Yeah, and um, just to confirm, that was Jorginho's first start, his second appearance. Okay, thank you. So that, that's a pretty good, you know – 10.3 is good for your debut, especially against a team like City. So at least Arsenal can, you know, take that away from the game. But overall, horrible performance. Yeah, it's hard to just even expect to win when you look at this Man City starting lineup. Like, okay, you start at the back. Ederson, you're, you're just chalked. All right. Kyle Walker, <laughs> Ruben Diaz, Nathan Ake. Bernardo Silva was interestingly kind of lined up in defense in this game. Um, Technically starting at left back from the way that the squad was set up, but really not. Uh, and then in the midfield, uh, Ilke Gundogan, uh, Jack Grealish, Rodri, Kevin De Bruyne, who had an assist and a goal in this match, and Riyad Mahrez, and then, of course, the man himself, Erling Holland, up top. Like, how do you even expect to win a match against this? Yeah, that's just a fairy tale fantasy team <laughs> that they got over there. Yeah. All that oil money. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. I wonder – they're, they're winning now, but – and I guess it's a good sign that, you know, their their potential penalties against Manchester City hasn't seemed to affect the locker room as far as, you know, manager and other coaches to players. But, um, you know, who knows how long Manchester City will be, you know, first place. <laughs> yeah, and, like, the way that they both stack up, like, Man City – their upcoming fixtures, um, Nottingham Forest, Bournemouth, and then they have Newcastle, and then right after that, Crystal Palace and West Ham. You know, at least four out of five of those uh, should be wins. Uh, Arsenal, on the other hand, they've got um, Villa coming up this weekend, and then Leicester, Everton, Bournemouth, Fulham. So, uh, once again, like these next four for them are very big, possibly wins as well. Yeah, um, I think, you know, teams like Fulham and Leicester will be really tough because Leicester, I'm excited to talk about them later in this podcast, but Leicester look a lot better um, ever since they started dropping Vardy from the squad, which is kind of funny to think about, you know, with how good Vardy's been. But Arsenal, you know, they're really going to have to pull through because, listen, they, um, who did they just recently – they recently lost to somebody. Oh, my gosh. It wasn't Manchester City. Who just recently beat Arsenal? Was it Everton? It was Everton. Yep. And, you know, now I kind of wonder, and I, I, I pose this question to you, Grayson, are Arsenal, are they starting to slip? Do you, do you think they'll still come out on top in the Premier League? Maybe even top three? Uh, they haven't won a match in February. Uh, yeah. I I don't know. It's a, it's a big question. I, I think it could shake things up. Yeah, I don't know if it's really going to be that much of a slip. Uh, right now, they've still got um, five points on Manchester United, who, you know, Manchester United's kind of here and there. Uh, with how well Rashford's playing, they're definitely still in it. And then Newcastle is kind of dropping. They're, you know, coming off of three straight draws. But 
I still think that it's quite a race for first. I don't think that, you know, Manchester City hasn't just locked it up now that they're in first. Um, all top, all of the top four, I, I really do see contending Newcastle a little bit far behind, but I don't think we should count anybody out yet. Okay, that's fair. You want to get into the next one? Let's hit it. All right, so Saturday, we've got a, a couple of good matches throughout this weekend. Uh, we'll start... Fulham versus Brighton. This one, it's it's an underrated matchup. If you told me about this matchup two years ago, I'd be like, why do you think I would care? <laughs> Fulham and Brighton are 7-6 and six respectively in the table, tied at 35 points. Uh, Brighton has it on goal differential. These two teams, I feel like they match up pretty well. And I completely agree with you. And look, Fulham are back on pace, kind of – you know, with the Chelsea game, and I'm not sure off the top of my head, but the che- the the one before the Chelsea game, as far as the Prim goes, Fulham were not really scoring as many goals. Look, Mitrovic has not been that good, um, you know, since since kind of your December break there. Um, and Fulham have had to look elsewhere for their talent, and I think it's Willian. Willian, the old Chelsea player, is has absolutely lit up the Premier League in these past couple months, and I love watching him play. And he's a lot of the reason that Fulham aren't completely, you know, in a total slip because Mitrovic has just not been playing well at all. But Brighton, on the other side, they haven't lost Grayson since December 31st. That was against Arsenal, and they lost uh, 4-2. They are coming off of a very disappointing 1-1 draw against Crystal Palace, but I think that was all down to McAllister. He had a really weirdly, like, horrible performance against uh, Crystal Palace at center attacking mid. He only finished with a 5.8 and played the entire game. Kind of strange there. But at Fulham and Brighton, it, it, this is going to be such a good game. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that the way that these teams match up is perfect. Brighton, uh, a, a solid lineup right now. Robert Sanchez and goal has been pretty good. And then... Uh, the midfield looks really good. Uh, Pervis Estupinian, uh, you said McAllister. Obviously, he had a, a couple of issues. Uh, Solly March has played very well. Five goals, four assists. He got a goal in their last match. And and then for Fulham, we've talked about it kind of all season. Their defense has just been solid. Uh, though they've allowed 30 goals, they still have a couple of pieces in the defense that really differentiate them. Uh, Burned Leno has been a fantastic goalkeeper for them. Uh, Kenny Tete in the back, uh, Tim Ream, of course, uh, Anthony Robinson as well, two Americans right there, just had to shout them out. They're playing very well, and there's multiple guys up and down this lineup that are just contributing, and that is the big thing. It's not all coming from one guy, especially with the struggles that Mitrovic has had since they came back from the World Cup. It's it's I'm very happy to see that they're still playing pretty well. Yeah, I agree with you, and and I like how you brought up Kenny Tete as well. He's been probably Fulham's most consistent player all season long. Definitely one of the best fullbacks in the entire Premier League this season. Um, Fulham Brighton, I <laughs> this is a hard score prediction, man. Do you have one? I think it's going to be a one-one draw. I'm, I think I'm going to go two-one Fulham. All right. One Fulham. I, I I like Willian and Mitrovic. I think Mitrovic will come back here because this is a big game. He needs to step up, and he's a big time player. All right. Well, that brings us to the next one: Chelsea versus Southampton. 
what are your thoughts here, Luke? Because we just talked about how they played in the Champions League. A phenomenal performance. And, you know, when you watch the game, they're just not getting the results. Yeah, and before I even um, talk about Chelsea versus Southampton, I wanted to bring up some very interesting Premier League facts to you. And I remember pre-recording, I said, I'm going to stop making excuses for Chelsea, but guess who's about to make some excuses for Chelsea? Listen, 79 changes to Chelsea's starting 11. That's the most in the Premier League. You know what else is most in the Premier League? Chelsea have used 32 players this season. And, you know, it, it makes sense. We've gone through a managerial change. We've spent over six um, $600 million on players. So I understand, you know, kind of testing things out. And it looks like recently Chelsea have kind of found who their, you know, um, staple players are going to be for this season. But listen, this Southampton game, they're dead last in the Premier League. If Chelsea, if Chelsea don't score at least two goals against Southampton and win, I I think I take back my stake or claim. I don't think Chelsea will finish top five or top six. I think Chelsea will kind of take like an off year. But Chelsea are in a good position here to get some momentum versus a team that is horrible. So who knows? Yeah, Southampton's struggling, man. They haven't had a clean sheet since October 19th against Bournemouth. That is uh, astoundingly bad. And look, Chelsea, obviously, they've got the squad. They've got the talent. They have goal-scoring talent. It, it just not, it, it's just not happening. And yep. I'm not sure what the problem is. That Look, they're creating chances. You talked about it. Like, how many shots on goal did they have in that, last, in that Champions League game again? Hey, let me go back. Something um, ridiculous. At 21 shots total, um, eight of them were on target. Yeah, like and had no no goals to show for it. Yeah, so I'm not sure if it's the finishing. I'm not sure if they're just you know creating chances into the wrong spots for their attackers, but something has to work. Yeah. Um. Really, the only thing that is working for this Chelsea team, and we talked about it pre-recording. I'll go ahead and make the statement that I think Chelsea have a top five, top three defense among all the major leagues in Europe. The Chelsea defense is amazing. And, you know, we kind of like Sauce Gardner. We like to suck Thiago Silva's cock a lot. He just recently signed a one-year extension with Chelsea. He's like fucking 47 years old. And he's been the most consistent player on this Chelsea team. I, I love the Chelsea defense. I love Thiago Silva. Um, and we just we have to get a win against Southampton here, have to. Yeah, it's it's a huge match. You know, you wouldn't think so when you look at the table and you're like, okay, well Southampton's last, Chelsea's in tenth. You know, why is this a big match? Well, it's because Chelsea needs to get back on track. They brought in all of these transfers: Mudrik, Felix, Fernandez. They're all in the starting lineup. They're all making contributions, and it's still not showing in the results. Yep. Chelsea just have to finish and, you know, have to score. It's as simple as that. I think um, for my score prediction, <laughs> I hate making score predictions for Chelsea, man, because I always go higher than what they do. I'm going to keep betting on them. I'm going to go Chelsea to Southampton nil. I'm going to go... Chelsea, actually, I'm going to agree with you. Yeah, Chelsea 2, Southampton 
No, I, I like that. And I have to call out a goal because I got it right last week. The Yao uh, Felix goal on an Enzo Fernandez assist. That's yes. insane pull by me. I like it. And I as soon as I watched the highlights, I literally thought to myself, I was like, no way he predicted that. But did you I, I sent you the goal, right? Yes. It was fantastic. Oh, that pass from Enzo, it was I mean, right to Zhao. Zhao Felix didn't even have to do anything except open his foot. <laughs> it, yep. Insane pass. So Enzo Fernandez is a great talent. So is Zhao Felix. They're both Benfica boys. I would love to see them link up again, uh, you know, in this game. And, you know, is kind of going back to it, Chelsea just need to score goals. All right. My goal prediction. Mikelo Mudrik gets his first assist. Not his first goal. His first assist in the Prem to Kai Havertz. Like it. That's the only goal I'm predicting. I don't know about the other one. Something else can happen. <laughs> All, right, All right. Let's talk Nottingham Forest versus Man City. And now that Man City's top of the table, you got to hold it up. And Nottingham Forest, we've talked about them. They've made additions to their squad that have been, uh, that are, you know, ones that we thought are very good for them. They're yes. sitting at 14th right now a negative 20 goal differential, but the additions they made are in the defense. Uh, obviously, the loss to Fulham last week, tough. 2-0 loss, it's it's very hard. But the win over Leeds uh, after the transfer deadline was huge, and now they face Man City, who's you know on top of not just the Premier League, but the world. Yeah, um... This one's going to be interesting because City, you know, like you just said, they're on top of the world. They're flying. They just battered, you know, first place Arsenal 3-1. But like you said, they got to hold it up. And this Nottingham Forest team has made additions. They've brought in guys like Kaylor Navas, which is unbelievable that Kaylor Navas is playing for Nottingham Forest. And I I personally still think that he's, you know, definitely one of the top goalies in the world. Um, But – Manchester City, they still got to show up. That I mean, that's kind of how it is with the Premier League. You know, you have these teams that are in 14th place that can make additions in on the January deadline deal because every team in the Premier League is rich, basically. Um, so, yeah, Manchester City, I think it'll be a little bit tougher than what people think, but I still think Manchester City will probably win this game. Yeah, I'm going to take Man City 2-0. Um, I'll go Manchester City 2-1. All right. Now we get into Newcastle, Liverpool. Liverpool is just trying to get back on track here. Look, they're coming off of the win in the Merseyside Derby. Before that, they hadn't won uh, since, oh, goodness, it's even past their last five. Um, God, come on, load. I, I talked about it last podcast. Yeah, I don't remember what it is, though. They hadn't won it in quite a few weeks. We'll just go with that. And yeah. look, this is the time to get it back on track. You're playing a top four team that's on a bit of a skid. Three straight draws for Newcastle. You need to win. You have the talent. They're kind of in a similar situation to Chelsea where they have the talent, they can create the chances, and they're not finishing. Yeah, um, and the thing with Liverpool that was really impressive to me is, you know, and you, this is another thing. Guys, Grayson, I'm sitting – I'm literally doing a podcast with Nostradamus right now. This kid is a freak of predicting shit. Cody Gakpo scored in that Merseyside Derby. And I would – in my personal opinion, the last few games, Cody Gak- Gakpo has been probably the best player on Liverpool. 
He's an insane young talent. And what needs to happen is Liverpool need to build off of this. Look, Everton sucks, but it is a rivalry game for Liverpool. That's a good win for them. They need to bring the energy against Newcastle and grab the win here. Another thing that I liked about the Everton uh, Merseyside Derby win is they kept a clean sheet without Van Dyke. Uh, I don't know the stat, but I'm sure they haven't been able to do that in a while. And I'm sure Van Dyke being gone is a big reason why they lose three nothing to Wolves on you know on su- certain Sundays and shit like that. So Liverpool need to bring it against Newcastle. They're, they have momentum with the Mer- Merseyside Derby win. They they have to get a win here. And a draw in ninth place, a draw is just not acceptable. Yeah. And, you know, even missing Van Dyke, I need to see more out of this defensive four. With Van Dyke out, you still have Joe Gomez, Joel Matip, Trent Alexander-Arnold, and Andy Robertson. They have to, have to, have to get a clean sheet here. Yeah, um, I agree. It would be cool if uh, Liverpool could, you know, go back-to-back clean sheets. That'd be awesome. Um, Newcastle, you know, Although they've been kind of slipping and they've been getting draws their last couple of games, they're still in fourth. And Liverpool, you know, they only really have the um, recent Merseyside win to kind of go off of. So I think it'll be kind of a close game. I I think Newcastle. I think it's a one-one draw. I think Newcastle gets another draw, but Liverpool can't win. I think Newcastle wins it one-nil. Their defense has just been phenomenal. 13 goals allowed. They're the only ones under 21 right now. Uh, that's eight or eight goals less than Arsenal's given up, who has the best goals allowed or the second best goals allowed right now. Their defense is fantastic this season. Um, obviously, uh, Nick Pope in goal has been phenomenal. Uh, Fabian Schar just uh, across the defense. They're playing fantastic. Kyrian Trippier has been great. Um, I know I'm missing somebody um, in that defense, but it's just across the board. This Newcastle team has been very good. There's they score goals, 35 goals for nothing to scoff at, but the 13 goals against is the glaring, the glaring thing here. So I, I think it's going to be one nil Newcastle. I like it. All right, let's get into Sunday's matches. Got a couple of good ones here. Uh, Manchester United versus Leicester. Let's go ahead and talk about it. It seems like you've been chomping at the bit. Yeah. Um, listen, this Leicester team, they look completely different now that they've dropped Vardy for Nacho, And it's paid off. Look, their last Premier League, couple of Premier League games, of course, uh, we already talked about it a little bit, but the one against Aston Villa where Vardy comes off and Nacho gets like two assists and a goal. Well, listen, when Leicester City played Tottenham, Nacho scored again in that game. So... I think, you know, it's it's not a Vardy party in Leicester anymore. And a Manchester United team that we've seen, you know, they can get exposed. Listen, the Barcelona game, I kind of watched it. I, you know, picked up on a couple things. Manchester United, that was another game that they should have won, and they just ended up, lo- you know, kind of losing their lead. They were down one nothing, tied it 1-1, then went up 2-1, and then Barcelona gets some kind of shitty goal that Manchester United ended up getting a 2-2 draw with. You kind of saw the same thing against Leeds, except Manchester United had to come back from that game. So if Manchester United limit uh, limit their mistakes, the sky's the limit. But Rashford Grayson can only do so much. And this Leicester team have scored eight goals in their last two games. So I think it could honestly go both ways. Leicester look amazing. Yeah, I think that there's 
a lot to look forward here. Obviously, Marcus Rashford is on ridiculous form right now. It seems like they can't stop him from just getting directly in front of the keeper at all times whenever he wants to. But I will say, Leicester looks great. They're scoring goals. So I think it's going to be a 2-2 draw. 2-2 draw. Um, I you know what I'm gonna go I'm gonna go even a better game three three draw. Okay, I like it. All right, let's talk Spurs versus West Ham, the last game of the weekend. And look, this is a get right game for Spurs. West Ham sits right now at six or sixteenth in the table. A draw versus Chelsea, a draw versus Newcastle, and a win over Everton in their last three. They're not playing horrible soccer right now. They've just run into two good teams here back-to-back for these draws. And look, we just talked about Tottenham in the Champions League. They couldn't get it done. But let me tell you, West Ham is not a Champions League team. (laughs) That's a good point. But listen, I I have some cool, cool stats here that I wanted to bring up. So Harry Kane... Hasn't scored since the one uh, the one nil win against City. Of course, that was only a couple weeks ago. But you know, Harry Kane is supposed to be you know Harry fucking Kane, not just Harry Kane. Harry fucking Kane. He's supposed to be one of the best strikers in the world, and he's not really been scoring consistently. And I even brought up you know some of his stats against Milan. He just didn't really play well, and no wonder um, they couldn't score against Milan. But for Hyungmin's son, it's even worse. He hasn't scored since January 28th. We're coming up on a month of uh, no Hyungmin's son getting goals. And his two goals, or the last game that he scored a goal in, was against Preston North End. So basically an elementary school, Grayson. And of course Hyungmin's son's going <laughs> to score two goals in that game. But that's the last time he scored. So listen, Spurs could be caught here in a trap game, but... With it being against a team like West Ham, you have an awesome chance to bounce back, and that's exactly what Spurs need to do. Not too sure if they'll do it, though. Yeah, I I don't know how I feel about Spurs right now. You just talked about the inconsistencies in the offensive uh, attack here. I, I don't know, man. West Ham really isn't playing that bad right now. Yeah, exactly. It could be a trap game for Tottenham. My, my main problem, though, is that as bad as Tottenham's been at scoring goals recently, West Ham's been bad at it all season. So I, I'm going to yep. take Tottenham 2-0. I'm actually going to go with Tottenham keep slipping. I'm going to go with a 1-0 loss. I think they won't score again. All right. Well, that definitely makes it interesting. I do have a little question for you, and we'll run through this one pretty quick. We're going a little long, but a little bit of a hypothetical here. Where do you think PSG would finish in the Premier League this season? Mm. Fifth or sixth. What teams are you saying like the top four right now would play like place ahead of them? Yes. Yeah, I even think Newcastle would because here's the thing. I brought it up earlier. PSG, you know, they don't really play like a team often. And I feel like in the Premier League, yeah, even more so than other leagues, it's a little bit more of a bigger deal to play as a team. But this is kind of a I, – I think the the main factor that I'm going with PSG placing so low among the talent that they have is they would get absolutely battered in the Premier League. It is by far the most physical league uh, in the entire world. 
their players, I, you know, they're great players, but I would admit that they're a little, they're a little flimsy. <laughs> um, and I just don't think, you know, a Premier League season's long. And I, I think they would just get battered and tired and injured throughout the season. So that's why I would go kind of like fifth or sixth for PSG. Yeah, that's the problem I see with PSG is if they field their best squad, how well are they actually going to play together? Because you have a ton of talent. So you can have Messi and Mbappe up front. You could put Neymar on the left. You could put him at Cam. But you're still going to find holes in this squad. Yeah, and, you know, even to even to go a little bit further, is the Premier League is – it's a hard league and I know a lot of people kind of gripe on the argument that it is the best league in the world, but I'm one of the people that thinks it's the best league in the world. Look, you can lose to any team on the, in the premier league, you know, bottom, uh, bottom three versus like top three. It doesn't matter. The premier league is a, such an unpredictable league because every team is talented. Let's just be honest. Every team is talented in the premier league. And I think, you know, over time, you would start to see a PSG team kind of drop to middle t- middle of the league, like Premier League teams, just because of how battered they are with the season. And I, I don't really think PSG have the depth to survive injuries and, you know, replacing players too. I think PSG would just struggle. Yeah, I I, I feel like I'd probably say fourth or fifth. Um, I, I do think that they could definitely make it into the Europa League being in the prem. I think that what happens here is because you're adding PSG in, we'll just theoretically say that Southampton goes out because they're in 20th. So you're kind of just replacing Southampton with PSG. So you're adding two more extremely tough matches compared to playing against Southampton. And I think that throws some teams off up at the top. So I think feel like I I want to say that PSG would finish fourth. I mean, I like that take, but I feel like there's also an argument that could be made that PSG could even kind of end up like Chelsea or Liverpool, just kind of not really, not really have it all there and kind of be in like, you know, in your ninth, 10th, you know, seventh, eighth positions even. But I think, you know, fifth and sixth is probably where I would put them, but you went a little bit higher. Um, was that all that you wanted to talk about with PSG? Yeah. Okay, I have something for you then. Uh, this is pretty cool in the news, and I'm so excited because I, I really want to get your opinion on this because you don't know about it yet. Todd Bowley, the Chelsea owner, it recently just came out that he had a secret meeting with the president of PSG in regards to signing Neymar. How does that make you feel? That definitely interests me. I'm I'm a huge fan of guys that you know, are on top of the world outside of the Premier League testing their abilities in the Premier League. And I, I would love to see what Neymar does because I feel like the Brazilian play style has not been fantastic in the Premier League. That's a very good point. <laughs> very good point. It's very, you know, kind of flashy, no contact, um, very fun to watch, but... So we've seen it, and kind of Anthony is having the same problem at United. He really hasn't been that great. It, the Premier League is physical. The defenders are fast, and they're built like wardrobes, and they're freak athletes. Um, 
you know, they just haven't found success there. And I think the, the argument with Neymar is if you if you asked me when he was at Barcelona, could Neymar play in the Premier League? I would have said 100% no. But Neymar's game and, you know, I feel like his football mind – sorry, soccer mind. I'm not going to adhere to the Europeans the second time I've done that. Neymar, his football – oh, my gosh, his soccer mind. Damn it, look, they're invading me. They put a chip in my head, Grayson. His uh-huh. soccer mind has grown – Ever since he's moved to PSG, and I think Neymar PSG could play in the Premier League, but not Barcelona uh, Neymar. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think he's grown a lot as a player. You know, in his earlier years at PSG, he didn't have Messi with him. So more attention was on him to create chances, score goals, you know, like make key passes because he was playing a lot more on the wing than he is now. So, I think that where he's at right now in his career, why not give it a shot? Exactly. I I, I personally would like it. I think, though, you would see players like Mount maybe being completely dropped or even moving. It would definitely shake things up. And, you know, Chelsea have already brought in so many players as it is, you know. It would just be be crazy to have Neymar join us as well like in the summertime but it, it's it's something that was actually talked about over um the summer like in August if, um Neymar was going to come to Chelsea or not obviously he didn't but it seems like we're being persistent so I guess Chelsea would really want um Neymar to come to the Premier League all right well I got some Premier League news for you all right Qatari Investment Authority has put in a five billion British pound bid to buy Manchester United. Wow. Interesting. So I don't it, know. When it comes down to just watching soccer, teams with more money get the better players. Whatever. But we haven't seen this all that much with a team with such rich history in the sport. Like, PSG has billions and billions of dollars. They don't have a, a, a long history. Manchester City does not have all that long of a history in the Premier League. Manchester United has been the Premier League, at least from an American point of view. They are the Premier League. It's the team we see the most as Americans. Yes. And that's without having this, you know, obviously they have a ton of money. It's an extremely valuable sports franchise. But when you introduce like the Qatari government money to Manchester United, what happens there? Um, yeah, I think you start to see some ridiculous transfers. <laughs> and, and so, you know, would that turn Manchester United into PSG like we just talked about? Where if PSG were in the Premier League, maybe they wouldn't play as well as we, you know, some would think because the Premier League is a different type of league. If they start bringing in people from all around the Europe and it just doesn't work... You have, you know, $6 billion and nothing to show for it. Yeah, um, that's a good point. But, you know, Manchester United, like you just brought up, unlike, you know, the likes of Chelsea City, PSG, 
Manchester United would be bought. Let's say hypothetically this does happen. Manchester United would be bought, but they'll still have that historic attachment to it. So maybe it wouldn't affect them as much just because they're a, you know, a, a club that's built on traditions and their, their history of winning. Maybe it wouldn't affect them as much, but you know, still it's, it's something interesting to wonder about. All right. Let's go ahead get into do you remember I'll, I'll try and move fast. I'm very interested in the one I picked today, but I, I will move fast because uh, we're pushing 2.30 at the moment. So, let's go ahead and get into it. Luke, I know for a fact you don't remember it, but do you remember <laughs> October 6th, 2007? Stanford versus USC. Obviously, football is what I'm talking about. Stanford is coming off of a season with a 1-11 record in 2006. They bring in Jim Harbaugh for his first college head coaching job. They're off to a 1-3 start going into this game. USC, on the other hand, has been one of the best programs in college football since the arrival of Pete Carroll. They won two national titles, seven Pac-12 titles in his tenure, and going into this game, they were 4-0 and and the number two team in the country. Stanford coming off of a forty-one to three loss the prior week. They were a forty and a half point underdog in this game. All right, now we get to the actual game itself. USC took a nine-zero lead into the half, but Stanford stayed in the game. Uh, they they score a touchdown in the third quarter to bring it a little bit closer. But going into the fourth quarter, Stanford was down 16-7. So we'll just go ahead and say it. USC was not going to cover the spread. That's for damn sure. (laughs) Open up this fourth quarter, Stanford scores a touchdown. They make it a two-point game. USC answers right back with a touchdown of their own. They go up 23-14 in the fourth quarter. Stanford has to settle for a field goal on the next drive. It's now 23-17, and this is when it happens. There's five minutes remaining. With, when USC uh, is up 23-17. With two minutes and 50 seconds on the clock, USC quarterback John David Booty threw his third interception of the night. This set up Stanford to march down, score a touchdown, take a one-point lead over the Trojans. The Trojans had 40 seconds to get 60 yards for the touchdown, and it goes sack, incompletion, incompletion. This sets up fourth and 16 John David Booty let the nation know he earned that last name with the fourth interception of the game. (laughs) And now uh, we come to today. Uh, For a decade, this stood as the biggest upset by point spread in 30 years. A 40 and a half point underdog takes the win outright over the number two team in the nation. That's a good one. Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. And a little fun fact, sophomore wide receiver, and you might know the name, Richard Sherman, had three oh. receptions for 45 yards for Stanford in this game. Damn. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I totally forgot. And I knew this, but when I was looking at this game, totally forgot that Richard Sherman played wide receiver in college. And that's the first time I've even heard that. And then he became, you know, one of the best corners of our generation. Sure. Um. Hey, Grayson, you ready for mine? Yeah, let's hear it. Do you remember? Now, this is actually our our era of watching football. Michael Vick in 2015 with the Steelers. 
top of your head, do you remember Michael Vick playing for the Steelers at all? Not at all. Let me enlighten you. It's week three. I'm sitting at home watching uh, uh, the Steelers play the Rams. It's a very low-scoring game. Ben Roethlisberger's not playing too well. But bam, he gets hurt. It's hurt. Michael Vick comes on the field. And I'm pretty sure at the time I didn't even realize that Michael Vick was our second-string quarterback. But went um, six for five, 38 yards, and we got a 12-6 win. Well, Big Ben was hurt, hurt. So Michael Vick was our quarterback in week four. He played Baltimore. He completed 19 of his 26 passing attempts. He had 124 yards and a touchdown against Baltimore. He also had nine rushes for uh, 33 yards. We did lose that game 20 to 23, though. You know, a little, little bit sucky there. But Michael Vick, he's serviceable, right? Week five, completed 13 of 26 of his passes, but 203 yards this time. A touchdown, a pick. One carry for uh, 24 yards. This was a 24 to 20 win against the San Diego Chargers on Thursday night football. And I know, I hope you know this play, but this was when um, we got down all the way to like the one or like somewhere inside the three yard line. And seconds left, instead of kicking the field goal to um, uh, to tie the game, the Steelers let Le'Veon Bell run it in from Wildcat formation, and we walked it off as the time expired. So I do that remember was week that play. Five. Yeah, I, I sick do. play. Oh, Michael Vick was the quarterback in that game. And week six, Michael Vick gets hurt. He was uh, he uh, uh, threw the ball eight times, completed three of them, only had six yards, no touchdowns, obviously, but he had five carries for forty-seven yards. Daniel Jones ended up, or not Daniel Jones, uh, Landry Jones, sorry, ended up coming into the game as our third-string quarterback. Won that game 25-13 to in a win against Arizona. And, yeah, I just, I just wanted to know if you remembered Michael Vick and, and his tenure with Pittsburgh. I, I don't whatsoever. <laughs> it, it, was, it was an interesting time. He, he did well, though. I mean, that's – let's see. In the games that he played in, we were 3-1. and one. That's pretty oh, good. Interesting. Look at Mike. Old Vic. All right. Well, let's get into stake your claim, and then we'll get out of here. Luke, what you got? Oh, like I said, you know, pre-recording, uh, obviously I didn't tell Grace in my stake your claim because we would never do that. But I don't have any stats to back this up. This is kind of just one that I came up with, but it's one that I've worried and thought about for a long time. The Yankees will never win a World Series with Aaron Judge. Okay. And that is my hot take. I, I don't think that – I think this Yankees team is definitely a postseason team. But I don't think – I don't think Aaron Judge will ever win a World Series with the Yankees. I think he'll be a Yankee his whole career. But I don't think he's going to win a World Series. Well, with as much money as they're giving him, he better be a Yankee his whole career. <laughs> right? I, yeah, that's I, I think that's a, it's an accurate take. Look, it takes a lot to win a World Series. It takes much more than a right fielder. And look, it takes pitching. And look, you've got pitching, but it takes consistency over the entire season. That is something that is few and far between. As well as that, you, you got to get hits from everywhere on the field. It can't just be Aaron or Aaron Judge hitting home runs. You know, one run a game ain't gonna cut it. Yeah. Um, 
you know, like the past Yankees teams, you know, like you've had the likes of uh, Didi Gregor- uh, Gregorius, uh, Aaron Judge when he was younger. Um, and the Yankees have had exciting postseason teams, but you know, even kind of watching them, there was never a time where I was like, yeah, the, the Yankees are going to, you know, the Yankees are really like one of the better teams this year. Of course, not last season, but the season before that, um, completely blew it in Fenway against um, the Red Sox. Garrett Cole sucked. And I, I just, I can't see this Yankees, like, you know, era being a champion. I just can't. We'll be in the playoffs, but I don't think we'll, we're going to have anything to show for it, really. All right. Well, nothing makes me happier than that. <laughs> a Yankees fan admitting that they're not going to win a World Series. Yeah, I'm sorry. Hope I'm wrong. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and stake my claim. Trevor Lawrence will be a top five quarterback next season. Oh, wow. Look, uh, in in my top five, Kirk Cousins snuck in at five. Okay. Who was your number five again? Uh, Lamar. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I kind of forgot about that. Whatever. Trevor Lawrence <laughs> is going to be top five. I'm still holding it down. Look, there's uncertainty with Lamar and the Ravens. They don't even know if he's going to be there. They, they have no idea what's going on. Trevor Lawrence knows exactly where he's at, and he's got the weapons. We talked about it. They're adding Calvin Ridley now. He's got offensive weapons. Evan Ingram, great last season at tight end. Travis Etienne, solid running back. They've got the offense to back him up. Improve that offensive line just a little bit. Trevor Lawrence is 100% going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. You know what? I like that take, but I'll, I want, I'm going to ask you a question that will it'll force you to take it a step further. So, obviously, in, in the realm of the NFL, and especially in quarterbacks, is we kind of have, like, quarterback eras. You know, like you and I, Grayson, we grew up with, you know, Brady, Rodgers, Roethlisberger, Breeze, Manning, uh, both of the Mannings even. And, you know, guys, guys like that. Do you think if what you're saying happens is true, right, he's a top-five quarterback, do you think it is now – kind of like him stapling himself among Mahomes, Hurts, Burrow, and Allen, and Lamar, and guys like that? Or do you think it's like a top five, and he'll kind of like flatline after that? No, I, I think he, he's going to get there, and he'll be there to stay. Um, I think that, you know, this playoff appearance is not the not the last we see of Trevor Lawrence. Of course not. And I, I think that, you know, an AFC championship games in the future, maybe a Super Bowl. But with what they have right now, they can win this division. Because, look, the Texans are, are far away from a playoff appearance, no matter who they get in the draft. They could. Titans are fucked. Yeah, <laughs> Titans. There's no telling what's going on there. Colts, they're kind of in the same boat as the Texans. And it, it just. I don't know. It's set up very well for the Jags to look very good in their division. And that's where it counts. If you win all your division games in a season, there's six wins for you. You're going to pick up a couple more. I love that take, Grayson. That's a good one. I mean, it's time. He's so entertaining. And I mean, we watched him in that, you know, playoff comeback and, he did kind of get sent um, out of the playoffs, you know, obviously by the Chiefs, who kind of to make Trevor Lawrence look better is the Chiefs ended up being Super Bowl champions. So 
and even I, I want to say I, I don't remember the score exactly, but um, it was twenty-seven it twenty. Like, yeah, like it, it's a close game. So yeah, I, I love this take by you. He's definitely I think he'll staple himself as a top five quarterback next season, and we'll see that throughout the rest of his career. Yeah, I think he is one hundred percent coming on the come up, and he will be here to stay. All right, Luke. Anything else you've got for the people? I, I think we're good. We've already kind of we've already talked their heads off enough this time. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said the last time we went long, you better enjoy it. Exactly. A little extra second and short will never hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. All right, well, guys, make sure you're following us on all the socials. Leave a five star review on Apple Music and Spotify. Make sure you're following on those as well. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, comment, whatever you feel is needed. It's going to do it for us. I will catch y'all on Wednesday. Luke will be back for Friday next week. Peace. This is.